0: We've been uh, up to some musical tourism in recent weeks on the Adult Music Podcast. Here, we've uh, gone to Italy. We did some uh, piano paisans.
1: Yeah, we got that piano paisans. We we need another trip to Italy soon. I think because I've got uh, those are piling up over here on the Last classical week, end.
0: We uh, went to France with uh, our third installment of uh, the Frenching Me series with yeah. Keep <laughs> the Frenching French Me, Me Baby. Series. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, surprisingly, uh, I didn't know we would have enough uh, to match this theme, but sure enough, we did. It's Greek Week on the Adult Music. Podcast. It is Greek Week, yeah, indeed. It, it is. is
1: Greek Week. I, I can't believe I came up with um, three classical recordings by uh, Greek, com- well, Greek composers. Sometimes Greek artists too. And actually, you came up with uh, three uh, jazz recordings by Greek artists. Not only that, you came up with the the Yako Organ Trio one a few weeks ago too. So right. there are a lot, apparently, a lot of them out there. And we did the Angelicus, too, on the Vibes. That's right.
0: Yeah, so that makes... And we got three uh, more coming. After today, that'll be five Greek jazz releases. And I have to say uh, that the ones uh, on today's episode, I'm really excited about. Uh, They would be great no matter where they came from. Uh, So it's good to see some uh, Greek artists with uh, new releases out there. And uh, I say Greek Week. Exciting new discovery for us. Yeah. Hmm. Greek Week because uh, today we're going to have uh, six... Recordings, three classical and three uh, jazz, but uh, as uh, Mike just mentioned, the Yakov uh, organ trio, uh, we've got uh, an interview with Yaakov uh, Simonaitis uh, that we recorded last night and uh, all about. Yeah, uh, that's the first we've done in a while. Yeah, interview four and it's all about uh, his new recording. Uh, and if you haven't heard uh, that, yeah, you definitely got to check it out. And we're going to release that uh, this week. That'll go up uh, Thursday morning, uh, June 30th in Japan. So that'll be uh, U.S. time in the evening of the 29th, somewhere in between in Europe. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, I'll put the uh, link in that episode. But you can go back to episode 64, uh, Menage a Trio. Uh, for our...
1: Menage Trio. You can hear what yeah. we said about the album.
0: Hear what we said about that. And you're going to get a lot of nice insight uh, that Yako shared with us about the genesis of his original tunes and the interesting, cool covers that he picked. He's got some Donny Hathaway and uh, some other interesting right. tunes on there. So uh, be sure to check that out midweek for our interview number four.
1: And he filled us in on the uh, Athens jazz scene too. And now I want to go. We have to... Get out there and hear some jazz.
0: So, uh, yeah, we're going to be going Greek this week, so
1: I can't wait. Yeah. Let's start. Oh, before we start. uh, Yeah, we should say the name of the podcast, shouldn't we? (laughs)
0: You're listening to uh, the adult music podcast uh, where we have music for the mature mind and uh, more and more international all the time And this is episode 69 before we get into the tunes We're going to talk about I want to remind everyone and tell any new listeners that in the episode description You'll find uh, links for all the recordings on uh, Spotify and Apple music uh, For everything we'll discuss Uh, also at the top of the description there'll be a link to the full episode playlist. You can get all the music in one place on Deezer, our preferred uh, streaming platform. You can also follow us there on the podcast. Just look up us as adult music podcast, and uh, you can find uh, both the podcasts and all of our playlists up until now. Now, if you don't see the full description uh, or list of recordings on whatever app or platform you use, uh, come over to our host site, which is podbean, dot com. You can find us there. All the links are active and easy to follow. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow, subscribe, uh, whatever app, or platform you listen to us on. If you take just a moment to give us a ranking, uh, write a short review, that helps us get listed in the browsing category, recommendations on all the platforms, helps us get new listeners, and we'd appreciate that. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, We've got a page there. Just look us up, Adult Music Podcast. You can leave a message or a comment. Uh, We also post some extra content uh, videos and little musical humor things during the week. Uh, So you can check us out or... Leave a comment there. And if you want to get in touch directly, send us an email. Uh, we'd like to uh, hear from you. Be sure to reply. Our address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely reply because uh, we get uh, less than uh, <laughs> 10 messages a week.
0: And discounting all the <laughs> so podcast really groupies who send things in.
1: Right, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: They know that you're the most eligible musical bachelor. Yeah, is that right? Podcast land.
1: They yeah. just they just covet my massive CD collection, I know. They just want me for my for my CDs. Yeah. <laughs> like like all women do, right?
0: <laughs> they see the CDs, they just <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> they they, they, say, they say, Oh, this is my guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> they can never compete with that collection, that's for sure.
1: It's gotta be both, sweetheart. Anyway, <laughs> here we go. All right,
0: let's get into the, uh,
1: speaking of uh, CDs, I got three this week, and uh, the first, are we ready for this? Are we ready to get- I'm ready. Let's to jump in. Start with the talking about this uh, music. Okay, the first, we'll do the three classical ones first. Oh, I should mention, I am Mike, the Mike the classical guy, and that is, who, who are you, sir? I'm
0: Russ, over here, picking yeah. out the jazz each week for the podcast.
1: Right, Okay. So anyway, so we 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 generally do this from the the earliest rec- kind of composed music first, and then go on. So it's generally classical first, mm-hmm. um, jazz being at least twentieth century. <laughs> so, right. Anyway, here we're we're all in the twentieth century uh, today, though, or twenty first. Modern program, you know, so yeah. We're kind of. It's a very modern program, yeah. Alright, so the first recording we have is, um, the composer Georgios Axiotis, a new name for me. I had, hadn't heard about him. Um, his orchestral works, and this is played by the, uh, or performed by the new Festival Opera Symphony Orchestra Sophia, conducted by Byron, Byron Fidetsis, and it's on the Naxos label. Um, now, the reason we are even hearing this music is because of um Byron Fidetstus's um painstaking work to get it uh, before the public. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. I just want to say this record was released, or this album was released on uh the twenty second of April twenty twenty two, although satisfying twenty twos in there. I wonder if there's any significance to that mm. release date. Um but the music was all recorded from the first to the third of May, two thousand three. So this Jeez. has been sitting in somebody's desk drawer <laughs> yeah. for 19 years. <laughs> What's up with that? And we're finally hearing it today. Now, actually, we did get a little bit of insight into why this happens at Naxos from uh, Daniel Bernardson's the way they work. Because remember, he was trying to—he's trying to get all those Rynitsky mm-hmm. recordings that he did with uh, Marek Stilek up, and they're—they're um, they're releasing them all now. It looks like that uh, Rynitsky ball is really rolling. Right. But uh, they're never really sure they're going to release something, or maybe they finally. They're a pretty adventurous label, to be honest. They record a lot of unknown mm-hmm. like composers from the past. And I guess um, that has finally kind of managed to get them to release this. And it's a good thing he did, because it's a pretty interesting album. Yeah, I enjoyed it. First, this. a little background. Yeah. Uh, let's get a little background first. Axiotis uh, was born in Mariupol, Ukraine <laughs> in 1875. Okay, so he's uh, late nineteenth. He, he, I guess, he'd be a modernist. But to be honest, he sounds very romantic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so from really from the nineteenth century, and, but that's not really. He would be modernist because of any, uh, for example, like um, Greek themes that we'd hear in his music, and we hear a few. Although it's kind of like a combination of sort of like folk music and uh, just something more traditional, something kind of not national, really. In 1887, his family settled in Athens, so he was around 12 years old, and uh, Axiotis was sent to Naples to study in Italy. He got his diploma in 1901, returned to Greece, and became actively involved in Greece's cultural affairs. Um, he was opposed to the Germanization of music education in Greece. In fact, this was a big thing in Europe at the time. They were trying; Europe was trying to uh, throw it, throw off the shackles of German. Um, musical culture and kind of come up with their, each sort of country was trying to come up with its own sort of approach mm. um, this is true in France as well um, so instead of um, the Germanization of music in Greece uh, Axiotis proposes the curriculum have its roots in Greek folk music and I love this the Mediterranean character mm. uh, they're, they're vague, very loquacious but... people the Mediterranean's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so maybe, I don't know uh, which was re- in what it means is he was really it's related to the aesthetics of Italian verismo which is like operas by puccini so they they're going for or pagliacci by um leon cavallo would be verismo operas so in other words they're trying to get like authenticity like uh, sort of real situations it's not like okay. um unlike say wagner where some viking woman in a helmet is um <laughs> <laughs> singing at the top of her lungs that would not be naturalistic okay it's a little more sort of mythical fantasy so you have these certainly not real but realistic situations basically Mm -hmm. okay um he he's his views drew the ire i love that drew the ire i love that word ire (laughs) of the athens conservatories. Inner circle. Uh, How many times have we heard this kind of story? You know, you go to your, uh, you you work in a university, and somebody's ire is going to be drawn by your idea that doesn't uh, go along with uh, the same old, same old. Okay. At some point, he went to Mykonos, where I've been too. Beautiful island. Okay, where he composed and became involved in public affairs. Uh, He remained there for the rest of his life, and then he died in Athens. In October 1924 and he didn't really get to hear a lot of his works until like the very end of his life his they were first performed in 1923 the year before his death at the Hellenic Conservatory in Athens this is kind of important under the direction of Dionysios Lavragas, years later his children had to leave Greece due to the occupation by the axis powers during the war and by the time his daughter Melpo who was a leading writer got back in 1965, the year I was born, by the way, uh, her father's manuscripts have been all but lost. His son, mm. Panagos, who is an architect, delivered the compositions in his possession to Theodoros vavayanis conductor of the Athens State Orchestra, who performed four of them after the war, but just continued the effort after 1950. And Axiotis's scores went into storage without being catalogued. But in 1995, we have all this wonderful... Um, you know, music uh, research going on really since the 1980s, and well, it's there's always been musical research, but it really just amped up mm. so, seemingly in the 1980s. In 1995, and just kind of kept going. Uh, several of the works were rediscovered in an envelope marked "Lavragas scraps." Lavragas huh. was the conductor, all right. Scraps. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, that um, Axiotis had given his compositions to before the war. Since then, Fidetzis um, Byron. F- Fidetsis, the conductor of this album, has set about restoring and making available for performance each of the rescued compositions, and that's what we're hearing here. Um, uh, Byron Fidetsis' efforts to get this music before the public, and quite frankly, I'm glad he did. They're really Mm. enjoyable. Yeah. All right. The first work, they're all fairly short. Um, There's there's no big orchestra work on this album, but um, no worries there. the first one is called Sunset, a great one to uh, start out with. It's very simple mm. and straightforward, and there are some Greek modal harmonies in it, but the musical idiom is what the notes call transnational, uh meaning its musical origins are obscure. Um think about um yeah, well, this would be it's it's kind of like a romantic era kind of sound, I think. Mm-hmm. If you think 19th century. Um it's very tender got a very tender and evocative opening uh sounding to my ear um very sensually Italian or maybe it's better to say sensually mediterranean i 'm just comparing it to something that's more familiar to me which would be Italian music um it's very striking uh the orchestration uh harp accompaniment with monophonic strings and winds is also striking this this is uh, appealing right away it really grabs mm-hmm. the ear. We can hear something modal in the first minute at about the 1 minute and 15 second mark. It's got some um, subtle sounds in the orchestration. There's uh, something like a wood block from around the minute and 45 seconds on every second beat, which I really kind of enjoyed hearing. Kind of a new sound. Um, the first section of this piece ends at uh, 3 minutes and 24 seconds. There's a full stop. Then a wind melody starts. It's still tender. Um, this whole piece feels like a just a, a light caress, an eight-minute caress. It's just really beautiful. Or perhaps it's the Mediterranean breeze against one's cheek at sunset.
0: He really uh, introduces lots of timbres right away, and that, so I started to like it. Um, and yeah. you know, he goes through all the sections, the, some nice clarinet and oboe and flute, right. and then you get some low brass support in there. Uh, the brass gets big, kind of nice balance with uh, the strings and uh, kind of these rising harp plucks in there, too. So I was really, you know, could tell, oh, this is a composer who likes to use all the colors in the orchestra Mm -hmm. right away. So I was, uh, yeah, brought right into it from this first piece.
1: Yeah, I liked. I think this might have been my favorite one. In fact, um, it just, yeah, it just felt really good. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's a crescendo that comes at five minutes and 30 seconds and at about the six minute and 15 second mark, the sound of the recording gets a little, um, two dimensional when the crescendo really climaxes. We, I think we're hearing the age of this uh, recording Mm -hmm. here. Um, we hear everything, but it doesn't sound very well-defined. Like it kind of sounds like flattened, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's not leaping out of the speakers. Um, The orchestra sounds crowded into the speakers when they're playing loud. When they're not playing loud, though, it sounds nice and spacious, Mm. okay? No worries, though. I mean, um, uh, this is a beautifully conducted piece. I'd say it's um, expertly paced. It really kind of comes across well. It's a little slow and seemingly perfect to put the mood across, and it's a very appealing work. I'd encourage listeners to hear it. All right. We get into something a little more intellectual next. This is the Prelude and Fugue. Um, In this case, I'm just going to read from the notes here. Only the instrumental parts and the last page of the orchestral score have survived. Hmm. Um, It's so Fidetsis had to put this uh, together from um, all the instrumental parts that he was able to collect. Hmm. Um, Let's see. It starts out, where are my notes here? Okay. It starts out monophonically. And then we hear a wind instrument, which I think is a clarinet, but I couldn't really make it out. Come in and play a theme above the monophonic opening. And soon we're already hearing contrapuntal lines, which I'm assuming we're still in the prelude at this point. Uh, but it's on a fugue yet. There's a big crescendo that suddenly pulls back. This is kind of something that Axiotis does quite a lot. It's a really romantic gesture. You get this big crescendo, and you get this big climax into the tonic chord. And then instead of that, it just pulls back at the last minute. It's like a tease... No, okay. There's another big majestic crescendo at 2 minutes and 35 seconds that again gets pulled back. Um, the string recording on this has a good separation, by the way. You can sort of hear the make out the different sections of the string sections really well. We get another crescendo at 3 minutes and 30 seconds, same result, and they're getting more and more majestic as they go. There's a lot of tension building up. A gentle wind theme follows, and the crescendo this time features ominous timpani rolls. As the volume builds. Uh, The prelude has very late romantic elements. At 5 minutes and 38 seconds the fugue starts and by 5 minutes and 49 seconds the next voice enters. Uh, The fugue seems like the episode, the next episode in the prelude. It doesn't really sound separated from it um, because the prelude doesn't get proper closure on a tonic chord so it's not like Bach really. Who would separate the two? the fugue seem like the next okay the fugue seems like it's taken a bit slowly, but its relative cheerfulness comes across There's some nice brass details in the background of the fugue points. It's a pretty inventive piece again nice orchestration and a good dramatic ending so mm-hmm. pretty satisfying All right the biggest work on this um, album is the next three tracks. It's called a love. Trilogy. Oh, Mediterranean people can tell you all about love. <laughs> anyway, um the first movement of this yeah, okay, the the full name of the piece is A Love Trilogy Symphonic Impressions. <laughs> and the, the the movement titles of these um are uh, the first movement is On the Mountain, second movement on the plane, and the third movement at the ball. Well, what's <laughs> happening at those places? <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't tell us, but I guess we'll have to imagine anyway let's let's be more chaste. Um, the first movement on the mountain uh this movement unlike sunset, uses clear Greek musical elements um, There's a light romantic opening, and we hear some lovely evocations of nature around a minute and twenty second mark. The piece gets heavier with low strings playing a monophonic harmony, sometimes accompanied by harmony from the orchestra. Uh, the piece becomes atmospheric with sensitively played string melody in the fifth minute. Uh, Fidetzis's patience with the unfolding of the melodic lines is very impressive. He takes a very, like, sort of slow pace, and it just feels like it unfolds sort of naturally. Uh, he he really has lived with this music and really understands it, and really you can tell really loves it too. Mm. He captures a tempo that makes the music seem calm but insistent. And there's a crescendo at the 6 minute 15 seconds, which leads to a dramatic section. This gets pretty loud in the speakers. Um, Fortissimi don't register completely clearly on this recording. This is another example of that. But they sound crowded in, sort of, to the sound field, I guess, or into the speaker. From this point onward, a section that evokes nature is juxtaposed with a very loud, insistent, triumphant theme. And the piece ends on the tranquil material that we heard earlier. Mm. Second movement. On the Plane. This is an intermezzo, according to Axiotis, um, but it's a long one. It's 12 minutes long. (laughs) It's a really long time to to claim that a piece is an intermezzo. Anyway, the thematic material has a strong folk character, clearly stated in the Mm -hmm. prolonged monophonic statement in the introduction. So if you like your uh, Greek folk music, you want to go right to this track. Um, This starts with the flute. Again, this is the... uh, Uh, played in a low register kind of sounding like I guess an Aeolus which is an ancient Greek instrument very pretty and evocative um, of a more perfect time in the past all these kind of sounds Mm. make me think that because of course all that survives of the past is what was best about it (laughs) So, so we keep thinking the rest of it was like that too it wasn't folks it was probably a lot worse than we have it now okay finally at a minute and 33 seconds the basses start playing the theme monophonically without the flute who is dropped out and the flute answers after the basses have played the theme the basses come back at 3 minutes 30 seconds to take up the theme again uh, these two um, I said these two instruments but the bass section and the flute are all we've heard so far and all of the music has been monophonic with no harmony at all until the 4 minute mark uh, we hear a high flute playing the theme with commentary from other wind instruments, so we're finally hearing harmony. Um, it's a pretty interesting approach, really. It, it never got boring. I, I mm-hmm. liked all the modal harmony. Folk music just really just tend to draw you in, no matter where it's from. Um, this um, harmony, harmonic section almost imperceptibly, imperceptibly builds up over the next few minutes to something more dramatic by the 7th minute. Uh, there's a rather unsubtle edit it's being kind at seven minutes and 45 seconds then introduces a new orchestral texture a little too suddenly (laughs) so i'm guessing that there's a tape splice there no worries though i mean you unless you're listening carefully you probably won't even notice it um if (laughs) i used to work as an audio engineer so i kind of i do notice these things like you, Mm. you sort of get an ear for them so forgive me for giving that away This builds up to the wide-open forte that we've been heading towards for such a long time, and we get a spacious theme in the ninth minute. The last two minutes of this has orchestration and figures vaguely reminiscent of Sibelius, but in a very different general environment. I mean, this isn't the cold Finnish um, (laughs) nature that we hear in Sibelius, but there's a kind of a similar sort of um, orchestration at this point. It ends on a droning chord with winds twinkling, a very pretty effect third movement is called at the ball and this loosely follows a rondo form according to the um, notes I would say that the word loosely is the key word there (laughs) because it's almost unidentifiable as a rondo form Um, it it presents an image of Greece characterized by folk music and folk dance okay this is going to destroy you in right away and alludes to other pieces from around the same time by other Greek composers who shared Axiotis' aesthetic sort of like they're all at the ball with him and he's kind of mm. and you know we're hearing them through their music of course um, unless you're a scholar you're not gonna know what these pieces are unless you're really heavily involved in, uh, in Greek music in general uh, I couldn't identify them but um, no worries starts with the oboe playing uh, monophonically monophonically by the way means with um, no accompaniment it's playing either by itself or it's playing with other instruments that are playing the same note so monophonic is what you hear when you go to the, uh, the uh, football match and everybody's chanting, that's monophonic. <laughs> okay, they're all <laughs> chanting the same notes. Um, but this time, there are harmonized strings finishing the theme, so the music becomes homophonic. That's when there's a harmony. Um, and the, the other one is polyphonic, when there are different melodies playing at the same time. and They're all equally important. Okay, still hearing that Greek folk idiom we've heard throughout the piece. This gets dramatic at a minute and fifty seconds. Then a stronger rhythmic element comes in, uh, the first we've heard in these three movements. It's been very, like, unrhythmic or undancy, let's say, mm. so far. At two minutes and sixteen seconds, a tr- traditional-sounding folky dance theme comes in, uh, complete with dulcimer-like accompaniment and tambourine. Mm. Um, this gets pretty insistent with the timpani joining in and then abruptly stops at 4 minutes and 12 seconds. We hear a bowed theme in the solo bass that leads to a warm, slow, elegant dance at the 5-minute mark with folk-like modal melodies. I love those modal melodies. Uh, this goes to a crescendo, cuts off, a favorite technique of Axiotis, and we get the same theme reorchestrated with gorgeous bubbling flutes accompanying. This is that sort of effect where the the flutes aren't really kind of blown into, but breathed into. It's it's a really sensual sound that I like. reveled did it a lot. Uh, this happens at about the 6 minute 35 second mark. A quickly bowed cello theme comes out of this and leads to a new, faster folk dance with chords accompanying on and off the beats at 8 minutes or so. And this dance reaches a crescendo, and we're back to the atmospheric material to end the piece. Uh, yeah, this sounded more like a dance showcase than a rondo, to be honest. I didn't really hear... I couldn't really make out the theme returning it just kind of sounded like we're walking into different rooms of the ball and uh seeing a different dance scene Hmm. yeah track six is called remembrance of a ball so we're still in that um again when i hear the word ball i think well i think 19th century to be honest that was when Hmm. these things were really really popular among the aristocracy and really i think the first world war brought them to an end (laughs) You know, cause <laughs> yeah, because it pretty much brought the aristocracy in Europe to an end. Some people used to go to nightclubs after that, and they would do all these American dances, these jazz dances and stuff. Anyway, remembering the ball, um, this piece um, is called more transnational than Greek, meaning it doesn't have a uh, an identifiable sort of national characteristic, Greek or otherwise, and it has um, programming programmatic elements. Um, it has a waltz rhythm that returns often. And the piece captures the atmosphere of Greek uh, late Romanticism. Um, it starts with a very romantic feel. This could almost be uh, 1930s Hollywood in its louder big-boned sections, but it was recorded way before <laughs> that Hollywood sound and Eric Wolfgang Korngold um, invented it. Um, there's a general, generous warmth of gesture to the opening. At 2 minutes and 5 seconds, we suddenly change to a waltz rhythm, It's lightly orchestrated and played, and we go through a few rounds of this. The piece is effectively a set of atmospheric orchestrated sections that return to the waltz theme, uh, back and forth, sounding romantic all the way. There's a rather fitful crescendo and interruption by the atmospheric material from 6 minutes and 30 seconds to 6 minutes and 50 seconds. We find our way back to the waltz, I guess to the the dance itself, at 8 minutes and 20 seconds, and then the music slows to the big ending. Track 7 lyrical intermezzo more description than a title that's fine um this one is also doesn't have uh greek elements has more of a verismo influence to it the the italian sort of um realism of the italian opera and and, uh he actually probably absorbed this during his studies in naples okay where he was where he studied in the early 20th century or end of the 19th century Um, The piece has two main ideas. The first is intense and impassioned, and the second contemplative and lyrical. It starts monophonically, again with a single uh, melody with a big melodic gesture and the thematic material is passed from the brass to various wind instruments. We reach an end to the section with a harp arpeggio at a minute and 40 seconds then a much quieter gently caressing string theme is heard. This gets more of a rhythmic profile at 2 minutes and 50 seconds. The piece is late romantic and very pretty in a glimmering way. At 4 minutes and 20 seconds we get a return to the opening after a pause and the piece stays this way all the way to its pretty ending. The last track, track 8, is called Like a Game. And this piece, according to the notes, had its probably what was its first performance in the year 2012 um, by the Thessaloniki City Symphony Orchestra conducted by our conductor here, Byron Fadetsis. It's a cheerful piece in a loose sonata form. It sounds a bit carefully taken to my ear, and this is a piece I've never heard before, of course, but it sounds like uh, it could go faster to get a little more excitement because it sounds like it wants more excitement to it. Um, I'll defer to the conductor as far as that goes since this is the only performance in existence on, on tape. But all of the lovely orchestration is given a chance to sound at the speed. There are open fifths in the bass in the first minute, uh, giving the piece a folk quality. Kind of sounds pastoral when you hear those open fifths in the bass. Uh, It also could be major or minor, you just don't know. This piece is cheerful in its open-heartedness, but not in the excitement it generates. So it's got an open-hearted feeling to it. I feel like Fidetzis is giving this piece too much space, as I mentioned before. I'm not hearing the flow of rhythm that I sense is there. Um, This is especially clear on the repeated notes and the winds at three minutes and 43 seconds, or whenever there's a straight rhythm like that, you kind of notice, like, you get that sort of bicycle-threatening-to-tip-over kind of feeling. Mm. It's a nice piece. I can't complain about that. I'm hearing uh, Scandinavian influences in this, by by which I mean Sibelius, I guess, or maybe Nielsen in this case. Um, In this case, it's Nielsen, in fact. Um, Perhaps it's the folk idiom. I'm thinking of the last movement of Nielsen's Third Symphony with the... uh, the, vo- the voices, uh, it kind of mm. sounds like that's sort of a, a folky type theme. Uh, the folk theme keeps coming back and the work ends with a big statement on it. Surely this... Okay, I keep complaining this piece was taken too slowly, I think. But it's good performance and you should hear it. Um, I, okay, so there's some excellent pieces here to sum up. Uh, this is an album waiting to be discovered. Um, its late romantic idiom breathes the sunshine and air and... F- Feels the passion of the Mediterranean, so that's all in there, and there are Greek elements too. I, I think, especially of the uh, second movement of um, the uh, Love Trilogy, uh, with its four-minute sort of uh, monophonic uh, Greek folk theme feel. Um, the recording is a bit lackluster. It's actually not bad. It's just mm. kind of gets crowded in the uh, crescendos. Th- those aren't those are a little harsh sounding, but otherwise. Detail registers very well. It's perfectly suitable. Axiotis' orchestral details are audible, but um they could caress the ear more in a clearer recording. No worries, this'll do. It's very good, and I encourage you to hear it.
0: Yeah, I was excited. It's always nice to hear something, mm-hmm. you know, it's gonna be the first time for you and probably almost everyone else hasn't heard this either. So, you know, it's kind of a rediscovery. Of something, and um, I was pleased, especially as I mentioned, I like the uh, attention to the different timbres, colors of the orchestra. Uh, the themes are nice, uh, really intriguing, engaging melodies that draw you in. There's, uh, you know, some folkiness to it, uh, whether it's Greek or mm-hmm. borrowed, but it's not uh, overwhelming uh, emphasis of things. Uh, and there's lots of kind of interesting compositional things that uh, pull you in uh, I especially made a note uh, I like the Love Trilogy a lot as well as the sunset, yeah I thought was but, good like well. you mentioned in the first one on the mountain which I found particularly moving there's a great kind of fake out cadence near the end of that <laughs> 10 minutes and 45 yeah. seconds you get all set up for something and whoo the rug's pulled right out from under you and it goes in a completely different direction so he likes to do those kind of uh, interesting things to keep you on your toes and I always like You know, those type of uh, things that composers do to uh, lead you in one way and then uh, give you something unexpected. But overall, I just found the music was, uh, you know, melodic and very beautiful, uh, flowed together well. Mm. And these are all kind of short pieces, easily digestible. Um, Mm. It kind of makes me wonder what the other things he composed were and... uh, Hopefully.
1: I think a lot of it's lost, yeah, according it's to the bad. the notes. But I hope we'll hear more. It, yeah. This was, this is really good. Yeah. yeah,
0: I kind of like this the things that were going on, you know, around this time. And he's also captured, you know, some of the earlier music uh, in uh, these pieces. So yeah, it's definitely an easy listen and very rewarding. So uh, please do check it out.
1: Yeah, maybe we should uh, try to talk to him, to Byron
0: Fidetsis. Maybe he can fill us in. That could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to know. Maybe. He's obviously put a, a big effort into uh, piecing these together, and, uh, right. and it's too bad they had yeah, to wait so long to... for anyone to hear this recording. But
1: yeah, there there are a lot of questions I would have about this. Just the, yeah. why was the record, where was the recording for nineteen years, and just uh, notes on the music too. What what's left of it? What he had to do to put all this right. together? It sounds like mm. a big job. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, good for him, and uh, highly recommended to listeners. Okay, I definitely hear it. Okay, our next uh, recording in classical is contemporary music, contemporary Greek music for solo piano, uh, performed by Fani Karajani on um, piano, and uh, this is on the Phasma Music label. I just love when we do these like <laughs> this is a
0: first for me. Very
1: yeah. minor labels. I've never heard of this label before, so it's good to have them uh, be promoting them. All right, so this program was um recorded from 2018 to 2021. 2018 to 2021. What am I saying? Okay. So, so over a long period of time. Not that long, but I you don't know. I guess uh a lot of it was done during the uh the COVID uh mm. period. Okay. Now, the the program is called Contemporary Greek Music for Solo Piano, but uh, it's not all contemporary. <laughs> it's there's a, there are a few 20th century pieces on this as well. Okay. That's okay. We'll uh just the, the Greek part is the one part that really interests me. Okay. Anyway, the first three works on this are by Kostas uh, Tsugras. These are all, well, not all of them. There are one or two composers on this that are fairly well known. But uh, the rest of them are all contemporary and don't know them. Kostas Tsugras, born in 1966, so he's mm. practically my age. Um, and uh, let's see. Three stylistic studies based on Macedonian folk melodies. Oh, that drew me right away. This was written in 2011. The first one is a lullaby, and it's a study on uh, Nikos Skalkatas, um, who did a lot of 12-tone music. I think he... Uh, we'll we'll talk about him a little more later. I think he studied... I don't remember. He studied with Schoenberg himself, or... Uh, it depends. He... he uh, I don't think he made it. He made it to the end of World War II, or he lived on until 1949. I'll, we'll find out later. I actually wrote it down. Okay, but um the Scalcatus work that the style is based on is uh, Passacaglia, which we'll hear later. Um mm-hmm. So you can listen to both and hear what uh, Sugras has done. Uh The notes, the booklet notes say it's a deconstruction slash analysis of Scalcatus' style, and a reconstruction com- composition is attempted, Initiate from three Macedonian folk songs that are the titles of the movements. Now, he he calls this lullaby.
0: There's huh. there's no way a
1: baby is falling asleep to this. <laughs> too much dissonance for a baby. We,
0: what was it we said? Take your dissonance like a man, but it's too much for a baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, was, that was Charles Ruggles yeah. that said that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, the American composer, Charles Ruggles. Look him up. Okay, yeah, this sounds pretty atonal, but uh, that's where the Scalcatus influence lives. Scalcatus himself did a lot of arrangements of greek folk music but his more serious art music a lot of it is in the 12 uh, tone style um it's a pretty demanding listen <laughs> what's he calling it a lullaby I don't know. <laughs> but i guess because yeah. it's based on a lullaby that's a greek folk song okay, okay? and he just put all this um it's not off putting real i'm just i mean we're mm-hmm. kind of complaining about it but it's not it's not off putting by any means it's short uh, the recording is rich and full which does all these new works proud this is a really well-recorded album. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I wrote here, God knows where the folk melody is in this. <laughs> I think it might be the, uh, the, the shape might be the, uh, where the folk could element be. is. I don't really know, but the at- atonal harmony wipes it all out. It's hard to really pull out. I guess I could hear it again a few times and work out where it is, but we'll see. Okay. The second one to Endeka, which is a study on the composer Yanis Constantinidis. Um, the work is uh, 44 miniatures. So I guess it's one of those. Uh, and this one's really pretty. Um, yeah. It's arpeggios, simple melody, complete opposite of the lullaby, and the folk element is easily audible, easy going, and enjoyable. And the third um, work is Little Apple Tree Study on Manos Hadjidakis. I hope I'm saying these Greek names in a way that you'll be able to <laughs> say, "Oh, it's that guy." Okay. Hygidox's work is uh, that it's based on his Little White Shell. So this is called Little Apple Tree, which is the name of a folk song. This one starts off dramatically with arpeggiated ripple in the high end. I like those kind of like Mm -hmm. arpeggiated ripples on the piano. And an ominous ringing bass note. Once the repeated note accompaniment starts, we get the folk melody in the high end. uh, Very warm and appealing. At the 51 second mark, we get a trill effect on the melody. Which makes this piece sound very romantic. Okay, so kind of interesting uh, set of three works. Mm. They're very different stylistically. <laughs> anyway. Fourth track Yanis A Papa Papa Yoanu Hmm nineteen ten to nineteen eighty nine, so twentieth century composer here. This piece is called The Plain with Poplars. It's his prelude number sixteen written in nineteen thirty nine. When we hear those years, we want to think about what's going on. This is the beginning of World War II, 1939, when this was written. Okay, and it's written during his uh, the composer's Impressionist, this is in quotation marks, stylistic period. There's lots of extended tonal harmony, parallel sonorities, so I think of Debussy when I read that pentatonicism that's rock and roll right there folk music that kind of thing and pitch centricity so that's modal music basically because you're not you're not being pulled towards a certain tone the um mm. the uh, composer has to organize the notes that uh, you're kind of circling around this note that he wants you to f- to focus on um, this piece alludes to serene natural scenery it's got a mellow slow uh, almost uh, jazzy ballad opening uh, immediately appealing in its gentleness and pentatonic harmony and generally very pretty um, worth hearing give this uh, go Go to this one track four next track five Argyris Cunatus three Idiomela that's a cool word hmm. 1956 is the composition date incidentally Cunatus' dates are 1924 to 2011 okay so not a contemporary composer um, these are, uh, three short miniatures to be, uh, played as an uninterrupted gesture. And the title, it, an idiomela or idiomelum, I guess, I don't know. It's a Greek word, so it wouldn't be, uh, I don't know. Anyway, the title refers to a Byzantine troparion. A troparion mm. is a short hymn of one stanza, which is heard in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And it has its own melody and rhythm. So it's not, like, set by the church, I guess. So uh, it denotes the piece's individuality here. Idiomela would be, you know, this is an individual work that isn't really based on anything else. Um, the dedication is to the memory of Eric Stati. Uh, you might recognize him from the uh, Gymnopédie or the Je te veux valse. There's yes. some really famous piano works by him, which indicates the work's character and compositional features, simplicity, brevity, economy of musical resources, and... Non-sentimentalism. Hmm. <laughs> Satie was really into that. It's got a soft, tentative opening with some A-total sounding harmony, but it's pretty gentle. Don't let that put you off. The second uh, idiomela of the idiomela starts at 30 seconds. They're very short and is more harmonically demanding on the ear. At 55 seconds, we get the last of the idiomela. It sounds like a mode or a whole tone scale it's got this sort of gravityless sound that sounds like it's just going to spin out into eternity. There's a ticking bass and some expressive repeated notes in the right hand. Okay, next we get to uh, Nikos Skalkottas, probably the most famous Greek composer of the uh, in, uh, in uh, classical music. Anyway, there's some others who did a lot of film music and also classical music. Skalkottas' years are 1904 to 1949, and this is um, his Passacaglia, which the very first work we heard is based on. This is the 15th of Scalcatus' 32 piano pieces. It has a short... It's a set of pieces called 32 piano pieces. He wrote other ones as well. Um, it has a short two-bar theme in 9-8 and 20 short continuous variations. Uh, it's got an austere form. Austere is a good word to describe uh, Scalcatus' music, and which gives it a neoclassical quality that is balanced with dense atonal harmonies, mm. complex rhythmic surface elements and dramatic climaxes. All right, The harmony in this work is, in fact, pretty dense, but it's played quietly at the beginning, and it's not too hard to follow the gestures. Uh, the variations are seamless and hard to count, as as they should be in a passacaglia, because it's, it's supposed to be almost like kaleidoscopic, the way the music keeps changing. Um, the piece um sounds um, pretty um, by a minute and 30 seconds, and suddenly shifts to something more liquid. Um, Intriguing juxtapositions of rhythmic figures in the individual notes occur. At 2 minutes and 39 seconds we get a lively variation that's imposing, then something more desperate at 3 minutes and 8 seconds. The variation at 3 minutes and 30 seconds is intriguing to my ear, with its quick bass movement and rippling arpeggios in the right hand. At 3 minutes 45 seconds we're in some kind of triplet rhythm strongly outlined, And the variations go on, and by the six-minute mark, we get straight chords that then break up. The piece ends ominously on a ringing chord in the bass, its harmonics allowed to sound. This is a wartime work, by the way. 1940 is the composition Mm. date. Next, Costas Nikitas, track 7, 1940 to 1989. So he's another 20th century composer. Uh, this is an Andante, which is the second movement from his Piano Sonata, written in 1966. The Piano Sonata is characterized by chromatic neotonal harmony and neoclassical formal design. The Andante is distinctive for the, star- the for the dramatic opposition between triadic minor chords and dissonant non-triadic sonorities. Um, I rather like the descending, almost romantic, but completely unsentimental opening. Uh, the movement feels stuck in its tonality until about the first minute when it goes into something a little more unconventional. So I guess the uh, the uh, dissonance kind of jolts it free from where it was tonally. The rhythm becomes more active in the first minute until it breaks up into individual figures from a minute and 30 seconds on... We get some descending figures in the second minute, which start ascending at about uh, 2 minutes, 20 seconds or so. Uh, the way the material keeps morphing into some new setting of the material draws the ear. I found myself wondering what would come next, and it ends with an arpeggiated ripples going up the piano and a grounding bass note. Yeah, this work kept me guessing. I rather, mm-hmm. rather enjoyed it on an intellectual level. Track 8, Christos Samaras, born in 1956 this is his prelude from the year 2005 uh, samaras's prelude reflects the personalities of the composer's friends students and colleagues and we're going to get 4 of these and they represent people um the first one this one from 2005 on track 8 is pretty harp-like with a lot of arpeggiated figures some manic some sweet some odd the work the work's moods swing rather suddenly and dramatically <laughs> And uh, the changes are sudden and noticeable, but fit together. And one imagines that Samaras has a keen ear and eye for people's behavioral characteristics. I kind of imagine this person must be someone who's sort of uh, personality changes rather <laughs> rapidly. Uh, fun to imagine this who who that might be here. The ninth track is uh, from 2014, a prelude, uh, much quieter and muted than the first, and it proceeds in traditional harmony. I think it sounds more or less like traditional harmony, unless there's modal mm-hmm. stuff in there. And is even calm and touching. It's shorter than the first. The Prelude from 2003, track 10, has a muted sound ag- again, but it starts with a more active arpeggiated figure that cascades downwards at 28 seconds. There's a nice change to the intimate modal melody at a minute and 15 seconds. It's brief, and we get into some more turbulent material, though gently turbulent, at a minute and 30 seconds. Ends softly, but inconclusively. The last of the Preludes is dated 2019. And this one has cascading downward arpeggios punctuated by accented chords. Um, Most of the work is arpeggiated material. There are thunderous bass chords that are around a minute and 20 seconds as the arpeggiated right-hand material continues. And that's that. Track 12, Vasilis Kitsos, born in 1972. And this piece is called Of Every Breath, dot, 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 with quotation marks around it. It was written in 2017. This work has a narrative quality and an extra musical reference to the poem by Sharvari G.C. that gives the piece its name. The basis of the melodic and harmonic material is a tetrachord created from the composer's son's name cipher. <laughs> in other words it's not traditional harmony Um, that's all you need to know the structure echoes the work's hidden dramatic program so it's dramatic but we don't know what the story is okay we hear the tetrachord right at the beginning split into two attacks there's some rumbling figures in the bass and hints of soft chords in the right hand the piece quietens at a minute and 50 seconds and starts a new approach with very quiet chords and gently taking figures in the right hand It sounds like the uh, una corda pedal is down due to the muted um, notes that we're getting from the piano. There's some louder, very brief episodes, but by the end, everything is quiet and gentle, as if not wanting to disturb. It ends on an inconclusive note, fading away into the silence. Track 13, Stella Dallampira. (laughs) Just, just the name of this piece told me I wasn't gonna like it. Desaturated reflections. It sounds, it sounds kind of mathematical, and it is. I once saw a meme on Facebook which had this, um, this old like 1950s style teacher telling her class, and then the devil said, "Let's add the alphabet to mathematics." <laughs> I understand completely. This piece kind of reminded me of that. Anyway um the structure of the piece this was written in 2020 so it's a pretty recent piece that she's probably going to hear this my apologies (laughs) anyway (laughs) the structure of the piece is formed by musical gestures depicting light reflections and by harmonic material inspired by ear by desaturated colors melodies grow out of the texture before merging into it again now it sounds like a cool idea but I thought this was uh this piece had some pretty ear-grating harmonies. It sounds very mid twentieth century, like post-war, and I'm wondering if there's a system by which this was put together, because like twelve-tone music or something like that. Because um, back in the day there was, and I'm kind of wondering how she put this together. If there's some mathematical formula being used, or um, if it really is just observation.
0: I don't know. I was struck by the by the harmonies here too. I mean. Now, now as we get later in this uh, recording, there's a lot of different type of yeah, they're harmonic really challenging things happening. But this this one yeah. stood out for its harmonic <laughs> ideas for sure. Yeah, uh, it it has a mathematical
1: quality to it, meaning it sounds sort of calculated. Nothing wrong with that, but the PC nature of the sound kind of pushed me away. It ends suddenly, so I don't want to like damn this piece. It's just not really it's something I really am going to gravitate towards this kind of music. Some people really love it, so. Anyway, track 14, Glyceria Cotola, Anamnesis Prelude. Uh, Anamnesis means memory in Greek, and uh, this has deconstructed fragments of pieces like Beethoven's Sonata Opus 109 and Schnitzke's Piano Concerto, forming the basis of a piece of memorabilia. I'm just going to have to take uh, this composer's word for it because I couldn't identify any of that. Um, I guess they broke it down pretty, uh, severely. Uh, very slow with warm tones and lots of quick arpeggiated trill figures. A lot of the work relies on long held notes in the middle of the keyboard, invoking the long ago. Uh, I'm not familiar with the Schnicker Piano Concerto, but the Beethoven is so fragmented, I couldn't identify it at all. Or I could sense it only by its sound if it's kind of got that more romantic, more kind of, um, traditional harmony sound. It ends on a gentle repeated high note. And it's kind of an amorphous piece track 15 dimitris economo this piece is called sync and it was written in 2013 i didn't write this composers uh years down in fact i think i stopped at about this point <laughs> anyway they're all contemporary composers um deals with the uh this piece deals with the audio aspects that occur from disruption interference looping and distortion of sequential textural transformations by simulating post-digital aesthetics in the composition of acoustic music. Listen to that 10 times and maybe you'll understand it. I don't know what that means. Anyway, Sync explores the idea of a delay effect applied in each note separately with a different repetition period for each one. It starts on the piano's highest note And the music descends gradually while transforming in color and harmony. I thought this work was really cool, actually. Um, It's nothing traditional. And it's Mm. kind of uh, original, I thought, too. It's a bit of a challenge on the ear. But um, I was intrigued by the form. Um, The repeating figures and juxtaposed rhythms. The progress down the keyboard is easy to follow. That'll draw your ear right away. And what the notes about the work say is exactly what you hear. (laughs) I was laughing about it before, but that, that is what happens. It sounds like it might be fun to play, but it also sounds like it would take some work. It sounds pretty hard, especially rhythmically. Um, Giorgios Sacalieros, um, Pause Est, from 2012. This was written during the uh, Greek economic crisis of 2009 to 2018. And uh, the, the notes say the piece unfolds an untypical gestalt. Um... <laughs> Imposed to creativity and vivacity. And a, a gestalt is an organized whole that is more than the sum of its parts. So it's a, it's a psychological term. Um, imposed to creativity and vivacity by the unforeseen eventualities of an individual's life. So in other words, I think what that means is that the coronavirus pandemic happened and this guy's creativity went to this completely unexpected place that was more than he thought it would be. Mm. I think. <laughs> That's how I'm reading that. Uh, the faint recollection of the enjoyable past, like in Ravel's La Valse, meets with an uncanny present. Uh, musical structure and syntax ascribe to both memory and hope. A lot of um, works about memory on this. Uh, this piece starts pleasantly enough with a friendly-sounding harmonic gesture that suddenly introduces jarring elements as early as 20 seconds in. I can swear I heard prepared piano notes at about the one minute mark or that's just the sound of the piano high in its register. I couldn't really tell. The piece moves very slowly with a lot of silences. It progresses from episode to episode spasmodically. We hear those harpsichord sounding prepared piano notes just after the three minute mark again uh, where the music sounds troubled except for very brief moments when it starts freely waltzing in three, four as just after the four minute mark you can hear that there are lots of drifting chords and silences otherwise, and the chiming prepared chord returns again at four minutes and fifty seconds. Uh, this piece goes through many styles of playing in the same in this in the same piece really, and it ends by just drifting off on the surface of its quiet, sustained chords. Track seventeen Orestus Papayoanu, not the same guy as um, the earlier one who was um uh, who was this guy? Yanis Papayoanu. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're related. Anyway, the notes don't tell us. This is called Dance, and it's Movement two from his uh, work rhythm- Rhythmology, which is a very cool name. 2018. OK, so a pretty recent work. The original piece has three miniature movements experimenting with the perception of time and the use of rhythm as a tool for musical expression. In this movement, a, rhythmic- a rhythmical ostinato is juxtaposed with a linear walking bass like movement. It's written in dense counterpoint. Uh, the motifs are exposed in various registers, mirrored, developed, and deconstructed, according to the notes. According to me, this is as dense is a good word to describe the harmony of this piece. <laughs> There's a rapidly played bass figure that accompanies right hand chords. Uh, it's actually kind of interesting, it sounds really hard to play, so you know, kudos to the pianist here. Just ends on a random note in the scale it's playing. And the final piece, track 18, Demetrius Marinidis' Shadow Clock Lullaby. Lovely (laughs) title. (laughs) Nice title. uh, From 2013. Uh, This is the final part of his work, uh, Four Homage Etudes for Solo Piano. So it's an etude, and there are two overlapped, distinctive musical layers uh, being combined, creating a fragile harmonic environment on top of which a soft rain of musical droplets is falling constantly. That's not my image. That's the booklet. It's a gentle, slow piece with a kind of timed, I said a dripping quality to the combined mm. piano tone and rhythm. It's worth hearing just for that. It's a nice effect. It's not, not something you hear often on the piano. Uh, the two minute and thirty second duration of the piece continues in this vein. It's not unattractive and the tone picture it paints interests me. Kind of like a big clock, kind of like you know, and mm. just sort of um, you know, Working its way through the hours, uh the piece ends on one of the repeated tones it's been playing, giving the illusion that you've walked away, and the piece is still going on. Hmm. anyway, that's the end of the album it's a f It's got fantastic recorded piano sound throughout by this small unknown label, and the performances are all you could wish for in this music uh let's give the man behind the microphone a shout out that is Costas Contos at the Music Technology Lab of the School of Music Studies of the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki. He did the recording, editing, and mastering of the album. And uh, Mm. you've got to do my album because it sounds great. It's really good. Uh, All works are presented with a deep understanding and an excellent interpretative quality that puts them across... To the listener, um, as the works themselves, they're all solid. Um, as far as enjoying them, I, I found it to be a bit of a mixed bag. Although some of them I really did like a lot, and that's really the way I like music. I don't really want to know what's coming next, and it's some some I liked, some I didn't like. So it was entertaining all the way through for that. And they were all short enough that you know, if you're really suffering <laughs> through any of them, <laughs> they'll they're over fast enough. So uh, I'd give this a listen if if the idea interests you.
0: Yeah, I found it, you know, mostly kind of curiosities uh, with this. Well, they're not all contemporary, strictly, as you say, but you're going to get some modern sounds here. Uh, Some of them will surprise you. Some of them sound actually kind of pretty. Some of them are interesting. Some of them are gratingly annoying. Uh, Some (laughs) of them are baffling. And you don't know what's going to come next, but they're all really short. Um, So you don't need a great attention span. Uh, to go through, but you'll be really surprised <laughs> at what comes next uh, in the programming. <laughs> so it's kind of fun, and I guess uh, especially if you're a piano player and you like you know modern to contemporary things, you probably be interested in this a lot. And uh, if if you're just a fan of hearing sounds and trying to figure out uh, you know, what what they are, you might like this too. Also, the the descriptions are kind of interesting and baffling as well <laughs> <Some> <laughs> too, So. Know yeah it, it was kind of a uh, a fun a fun little listen uh to see what's going on I, on I the need a job
1: yeah. writing these notes because there are so many like clichés that these writers I know people it's write terrible, a book notes use they're just so horrible a rhythmic tool i, I don't like what is hearing that? about tools when i'm reading about music you know? <laughs> it's a metronome <laughs> just get that word out of there
0: yeah <laughs> a rhythmic tool yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah but it it's, uh, it uh it my interest through and uh it made me yeah, chuckle a few times and <laughs> like mm. uh, you know, the lullaby and uh, yeah. some other things. <laughs> but um, yeah,
1: uh, I found that I lullaby to be ironic somehow. Yeah, it? yeah,
0: and know um, yeah, just the the titles and descriptions are interesting too. But uh, you get a mix of lots of different kind of harmonic approaches, rhythmic things, uh, funny rumbling. Uh, Kind of other devices of comp- of composition that you'll try to figure out, um, yeah. So, give it a listen, and uh, you can do it all at once. It's broken up, or you can you know take little pieces of it. Uh, you can listen to this anyway.
1: Yeah, and if you're a pianist, um, yeah, you might find a new piece to play in here. Yeah. There's some uh, there's some
0: good stuff. I mean, you can't get much more cool of a title than Shadow Clock Lullaby. I mean, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah.
1: although it does sound kind of like a rhythmic challenge. You know, we'll see. you wanted the challenge. It's good. All right. Last of the classical um, uh, recordings, and this is kind of a loosely Mm. kind of. This isn't really a classical recording very much, but it's by Christos Zifakis, born in 1969, and it's um, called Flamenco Odyssey, a Mediterranean guitar cycle. This was written between the years 2007 and 2018. and arranged here by uh, Mikhail Travlos. It's on the Naxos label and it was um, just released uh, recently. Uh, Zephakis was born in Athens, Greece, into a musical family. Uh, his uncles were folk musicians and his grandmother a classical pianist. And that's going to be, that's, it sounds like it was a really important influence for him because he's marrying folk, not Greek folk music, but in some cases, but mostly flamenco. And classical elements into the same piece. Um, Zavakis um, plays the guitar because he believed it united these two musical worlds and he'll attempt to do that in this um, piece too. Um, He studied classical music in the Netherlands and then went to Spain and studied flamenco guitar. When he returned to Athens he studied theory and composition and jazz. So classical flamenco jazz, this guy's a monster. Mm. (laughs) He's highly knowledgeable in this music and uh, as we're going to hear he doesn't, you know, a lot of like, you know, we always complain that when classical musicians play jazz, they don't really get the right feel often. This guy has all the right feels. I mean, he, he really does sound like a flamenco guitarist. You know, it's it's really amazing. He's got a fantastic technique. Uh, yeah. He's a great player.
0: I've always thought, you know, with flamenco, yeah, it's a, it's a special mm. kind of music that has its own sort of uh, compositional structure and uh, yeah. and aesthetics. And you can't really look at it from outside of that and analyze it or hope to play it without getting an insight into the culture and stepping in. You need that real direct experience, I think, to be able to really understand yeah. what's going on in, in flamenco. I mean, I, re- I love the music, but I won't claim to understand it you know well enough to <laughs> ever think I could perform it or something, you know?
1: Yeah, I think when we hear flamenco music what we love about it you don't have to understand it. You understand passion and that's right. what you're hearing and yeah. seeing in the dancing. It's it's pretty clear. So it's, it's it's that's pretty universal, you know, without mm-hmm. the um, you know, the uh, it's very specific national elements that's in it. Okay, and describing this work, Flamenco Odyssey, Tzafacus mentions that Odyssey is a voyage and he and all of us are Odysseus who went on this voyage. Uh, hmm. Going through adventures to reach the harbor of self-realization. Oh boy, sounds like oh, wow. pop psychology. <laughs> uh, he thinks of this work as moments in a walk in which he observes the different forms of flamenco from the point of view of a traveler who carries within him the flavors and timbres of both Eastern and Western cultures. So <laughs> that's wow. the whole world yeah. right there. You know? It's everything. Okay, <laughs> he's he's like this emperor, like uh, you know, looking at his realm there. Flamenco dancers and contemporary choreographers have created dances for most of these tracks. Um, during the adventure that was the long-changing and readapting of these tracks over time, Zafakis says he had the poem Ithaca by the Greek poet Constantine P. Kavafi in mind. C-A-V-A-F-Y if anybody wants to look that up. Uh, in the po- It's a nice poem. It's written in the um, Naxos book. And basically it encourages the reader of the poem to go on a lifelong journey of discovery... And hope to arrive back at your own personal Ithaca in old age, full of wisdom and health, hmm. wisdom and wealth. Sorry, oh, health too, I guess. But <laughs> it's wisdom and wealth. Okay. Zavakas um, has some pretty evocative program notes to go with the music. Uh, the work wasn't recorded live in the studio due to financial constraints. So, okay, over time, Zavakas recorded the instruments one by one. Okay overdubbing himself and having a lot of guests on it too. Uh, the editing and mixing took almost two years to complete. All right, so we're going to have to keep that in mind when we listen to this because I had very mixed feelings about this um, recording. First of all, um, the guitar playing on this record is absolutely fantastic. Um, he, he's a great player. He's got a, just astonishing technique and it really and a good feel for flamenco as well. Mm-hmm. He really does sound like he's in the idiom. Um, and even when he plays like sort of jazzy things as well. And when he's playing classical music too, classical sounding music too. Um, the problem for, I had with this is the recording itself. It's a good recording, but it's really pumped up in the studio. The, uh, Mm -hmm. the sounds are sort of larger than life. And to be honest, that rather put me off. This kind of sounded more like, um, it's going for some kind of pop appeal. And that's fair. Uh, people, you know, if, if he thinks he's going to reach the audience like that, uh, that's fine with me but it's gonna it's not gonna do much for me or I think for traditional classical listeners unless they're willing to just sort of um you know put that aside for a minute anyway mm-hmm. let's just have a look here the first um, movement or they're not really movements. They're sort of individual pieces making up this whole. It's called Sailing Fandango con Buleria, which is Fandango and Buleria are two dances. It's sort of like an overture, according to Um Zafakis. Uh, it's a fantasy on two Spanish dances, 3-4 uh, rhythm. Um, the Fandango rhythm reminds listeners of the sea waves, the 3-4 rhythm, and the tempo doubles in the Buleria. Uh, the Beginning of the Voyage. Okay. This has a string-heavy backdrop. Now, the strings are a virtual orchestra, and uh, I uh, except mm-hmm. for the guitar, the bass, and the percussion, which are all really pumped up, everything else, the strings, there's a live violin and a live flute, sound really processed by the mm-hmm. orchestra to the point where they have no attack. They're just sort of sounds that start and stop. You don't really hear the, a person sort of like actually blowing into mm-hmm. the flute or, you know, drawing the bow across the violin. You just hear the sound that it makes. Um, I didn't like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, the uh, virtual orchestra here is uh, Christos Kassinakis. I should probably um, mention who's performing on this album. I didn't actually write it in my notes here, but um, it's uh Christos Zifakis on the guitar. Um, and he's also, on the last track, playing all three guitars overdubbed. Evangelos Statholopoulos on the flute. Evgeny Bukov on the violin. Panagiotis Bourizanis on electric bass. Nikos Kapelidis on drums. Janis Janulis on percussion. And also claps on some of the tracks. Uh, Christos Ksenakis on virtual... String orchestra and recorded samples and programming. So that's everybody who's on this. Okay, my, the next piece. Um, okay, let's see here. So you have this string heavy backdrop um, accompanying the very forward uh, guitar. And the thing that strikes you right away is what a guitarist this guy yeah. is. I mean, he, he really draws you right in. He fits well in the flamenco style. There's a very present percussion effect and an electric bass that just kind of oozes yeah. out of the speaker yep yeah you, know, you know like some bass blob you know kind of anyway if you think if you remember like uh peter gabriel's uh song sledgehammer it kind of has that sort of liquidy sort yeah. of very p- full bass sound you it's know, a it's, huge it's and modern
0: that. sound of uh electric bass yeah. that comes out
1: yeah He has some lightning-fast guitar playing on the Fandango. The recording is rich, especially on the low end, and captures the attack on the guitar exceptionally well. In fact, some listeners will say that he's far too far forward. He's definitely the star of this performance. and Everybody else is there to just back him up. Um, Gorgeous playing throughout. The Buleria starts at the six-minute mark. Actually, it probably starts earlier than that, and I missed the intro. But... There you go. The next track, uh, El Greco's Footsteps, was actually my favorite one on the album. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is for solo guitar. Uh, The the story of this is El Greco, who is a painter, kind of like Odysseus himself according to the notes, set out from his homeland of Crete and eventually reached Spain where he created his masterpieces, his paintings. Um, this piece uh, traces El Greco's trajectory. It starts with improvisations of ancient Cretan songs, which are called uh, Rizitica in Greek, and Risa means root. Risa means root. And it ends in a Spanish dance. We're always going to get to Spanish things on this album. <laughs> uh, the The intoxicating chords in the guitar at the beginning have a lot of echo on them uh, as if recorded deep in a cave But it's not unappealing. It kind of gives it like this aged sound. Mm. Like we're kind of hearing like an echo from the distant past. The modal harmony really drew me in. These are great modes. I really liked hearing these. Uh, They had an odd reaching into the past quality. The Spanish dance is slowish and about the same tempo as the improvisations. But the harmony has suddenly changed to a more Spanish mode. It's, It's really clever composing here. It's an excellent composition and a very compelling track. The solo guitar playing is outstanding, and we remain in that cavern-like acoustic throughout. It makes the work sound larger than life. If you're kind of like a a purist, um, you're not going to like the sound quality. And in fact, I think it would have been nice to hear this without the the pumped-up effect on Mm. it. But uh, I, I liked it enough. There's no problem there. A more solid rhythm develops for the Spanish dance in the last minute. Okay, track three, Telemachus Tango. Uh, Telemachus was Odysseus's son, and at the beginning of the Odyssey he's a passive young man, not taken seriously by anyone, but then there's a moment when he's awakened and makes up his mind to take matters in hand, and this tango represents just after that moment when he wakes up. Uh, the recording quality of the guitar has become brighter and less echoey here. There's a flute in the background simulating outdoor birds and indeed the entire composition led by the guitar has a determined ready to take action quality to it. By 2 minutes in we have a Spanish sounding dance in the guitar. Um I should mention these um are they're, they're not really classical works though there are classical elements in them. It's more a fusion of styles that comes across as something modern sounding and European. At least in the way it's recorded i would think of this more as like a world music recording with a lot Mm -hmm. of classical you know or art music pretensions to it um there's nothing pretentious about it the the playing backs it up there's flamenco hand clapping in it and it it's an odd marriage of tradition and contemporary sound recording fourth movement plegaria means prayer in spanish Um, This uneasy introduction reflects a restless spirit, which is eventually soothed and reaches pure articulation. There's some intricate playing at the beginning of this piece. The guitar is more impassioned here in its Mm -hmm. statements, all taken with great presence and strength. Guitar is heavily spotlighted, though without lots of reverb. There is some, though. Track five, Bacchus Solea. Ancient Greeks associated Bacchus with the emergence of drama and ritual. Um, Bacchus rises from the shadows of the underworld and chaos, bringing with him unutterable secrets. Uh, This track attempts to create an image of him dancing a solea, one of the archetypal dances of flamenco. It has the flute and droning virtual string orchestra accompanying a kind of minimal guitar, playing syncopated chords. Now, the sound here kind of drove me crazy, because the flute and the strings are way in the back, and you're hearing them kind of sounding artificial, And the guitar, you hear every attack on it. It's far up front. So I I kind of would have liked to have heard them a little more on the same sort of playing, on the same stage, let's say. Um, This uh, morphs into a guitar-led dance. The percussion is right up front and actually sounds like it's in the room with you. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. so clearly recorded. Okay. Sixth um, movement or six pieces, Escobilla which follows the solea that comes before it's the part of the flamenco dance when dancers move faster showing off their skill their flamenco hand claps at the beginning of this and they're altered electronically by the recording which I didn't like again I tend not to like when things are electronically altered unless <laughs> it's somehow integral to the piece all right if we ever come across a recording like that I will let you know so that you know what I mean uh this bass and strumming guitar set the rhythm And the hand claps seem preternaturally fast. It sounds like this is manipulated in the studio. It might not be, but I just kind of got that feeling. We hear the flute carrying a lot of the melodic material, but he's recessed in the mix. The strumming guitar is up front. This was weird. The flute has the melody, and he's not, like, spotlighted. Um, This composition is all about the guitar, and I'm wondering how he can play this work in its entirety at a live performance. He's going full on throughout. This must be tiring. Because this piece is often played on stage, like one piece after the other. The guitar just never stops playing. And he's playing all these, he's ripping off, all ripping out all these, like, just lightning-fast, fiery sort of, um, you know, phrases. It's it's really astonishing, really. Seventh um, movement? Let me see here. Uh, Nostalgia ballad. This um, represents yearning for return, virtual strings sounding new-agey here, and they accompany the guitar strumming. All of this sounds slightly faster than is natural. There's a manicness to the speed here. This isn't quite ballad speed. I feel the use of electronics makes a lot of the emotion that could be here sort of disappear. Um, It just sort of takes takes any uh, emotional element away. The guitar sound is enhanced, as it has been throughout, by studio... Manipulation, meaning it's pumped up. So he's up front. And at this point, this is the seventh track in the out al- of a nine track album. And I needed a break at this point because it was starting <laughs> to sound kind of samey. And the, the sound field that he's using the whole s- sound quad, it was really making me tired. It, it kind of felt like a, an assault sort of, despite the really amazing playing. Um, the, the album sounds to me like it's on speed. It's it's on a drug. It's moving really fast. And it sounds like it's moving even faster now. Okay. Anyway, the next day, I resumed with track eight. <laughs> this is called uh, Baghdad Buleria," named because the melody was composed during the bombarding of Baghdad. And for those in the city, it was the starting point of an anguished odyssey. With the sole aim of surviving this is the longest track on this album at almost 10 minutes it's pretty intricate and uh it's got a complex guitar line opening it with those virtual strings accompanying um there's some cool percussion underneath the guitar's rapidly repeating arpeggio figure i really don't like the virtual strings they're emotionless just a wash of sound kind of providing a harmony or like a the sound to play against sort of like um in Indian music, those um, instruments in the back that uh, count, mm-hmm. that kind of set the harmonic range for the uh, soloists. Um, the name of the mount isn't coming to me now. Impressive playing again by Zafakis in his solo after a minute and 30 seconds. He plays here an unseparatable blend of flamenco and classical styles. Uh, There's an atmospheric interlude after 4 minutes and 30 seconds featuring the violin and flute. And the problem here is the sound is altered so we can't hear their natural sounds or attacks clearly. So we don't really get any emotion uh, registering there. They're smoothed out just there for their sound. Um, They both play the material well. The more aggressive opening comes back and we head towards the end. And the ending minute of the piece features the backing instrument with the guitar absent or playing in the background. The final heart alter ego tango it says this is a festive work and he calls this a combination of blues rock influences and the rhythm of tango um hand claps though suggest flamenco to me and to an extent so does the guitar playing um it's got a happy ending but this sounds more like a mediterranean dance and it's circling figures than anything that can be thought of as jazz or rock um maybe he thinks of the slide guitar effects as blues you know because he gets some slight uh sliding guitar Anyway, by the second minute, we're squarely in Spanish harmonic and rhythmic territory. The piece lightens up in its final minutes, still sounding like a dance. It fades out at the end, a studio fade, not a live one, which I thought was kind of odd too. Um, like we're distancing ourselves, we're, like we're distancing ourselves from an ongoing party. All right. Well, first of all, I want to say um, this this work he didn't have money to record it. It took a long time. He laid down the part, a lot of the parts himself. So we have to kind of give this a little bit of space when we think about just the effort that was put into just recording this. So it's good that it was recorded. I really would have, he would have, um, what do I want to say here? Um, preferred a live performance, something maybe recorded at one of the earlier, um, Mm. you know, performances of this. But again, he probably couldn't afford to make it, which is why we've got this. Um, so I don't really want to. I want to keep that in mind while I'm saying all this. I wouldn't call this a, really a classical work. It's a fusion of different styles, which is what Zafakis said he does. He wants to, uh, and why he plays the guitar in the first place. It's all immediately enjoyable music, and it's not a bad thing to be listening to when we're all having to voyage on our sofas. If if we, any of us are still doing that <laughs> because of any lockdowns, <laughs> all the tracks are uplifting. They're light. They're easy on the ears. And I, d- I didn't really feel like there was like a through line connecting all of it, but um, it's, he's, he's definitely got a narrative there. Um, not necessarily musically though. Um, they're all separate adventures on the way to their home point. The different tracks don't really differ all that much from each other. There's only minimal contrast between tracks. What really stands out in this album is Zafakis is amazing playing. He encompasses all the styles. Well. Um, He's the real thing so you'd want to listen to this for him
0: yeah amazing guitar playing uh, the compositions are really interesting and you mm-hmm. know the the orchestration is impressive too uh, it's just that the recording uh, you know mm-hmm. the way that it has to be processed and uh, and the way that he had to record it um, sort of piecemeal uh, gives it that kind of uh, overproduced and a little bit unnatural uh, quality to the rest of the instruments, and then some of the balance issues you mentioned. That said, it's very impressive uh, sort of journey, this Odyssey, that he has uh, various kind of uh, influences and backgrounds influencing what he's doing on guitar. His technical playing and expressiveness is uh, really first-rate and impressive. It, it just makes you uh, wish that you could have scene or there was a recording of some of the live performances, uh, with right, dancers exactly. and things that the uh, notes way. mentioned, uh, cause mm-hmm. that would have been great to see. Uh, let's hope he gets uh, another chance to, uh, do this with all, you know, live musicians and, uh, things in a studio or in a live performance because it's, it is very interesting and the, mm-hmm. the guitar playing is uh, really amazing on here.
1: Yeah. All right. And here we are. Greek jazz. Ready it's to jazz go time, into yeah. this, uh,
0: yeah, so we've uh, taken a dive into uh, the uh, Greek jazz world <laughs> and come up with some interesting connections. I
1: have to say, yeah, we and, have. And
0: uh, we're going to start out with sort of like the connecting figure in a lot of what we've discovered. We may even call him the godfather of modern Greek jazz here uh, in our first recording. And uh, it's this is an interesting one, too. I, apparently, as we learned from uh, Jakobos, Uh, Yesterday, uh, he's done a lot of recording in the past year. This recording has got some interesting content and programming on it, too. And we're speaking of uh, the great uh, pianist and organist George Contraforis with his uh, trio. And uh, the recording we've got here is called Deep South. It's on uh, Puzzle Music Label. And uh, he's also got another one earlier this year you should check out, too. It's a tribute to Bill Evans with the same trio. This one has got a kind of interesting thematic uh, programming appeal. Now, I should say, in our uh, previous foray into Greek jazz, uh, if you go back to episode 61, Mallet Maestros, uh, we <laughs> featured the uh, recording uh, called Long Way Home uh, by uh, Greek vibraphonist Dimitris Angelakis. And this trio, was the backing for his uh, recording. And so we've got all the same players.
1: That's another album I bought, by the way. Yeah, you like that
0: one a lot. It's it's a really good album. So we've got the same trio here, and we also heard him on uh, Yakov's Safe Place organ trio album, playing organ, Mm. right? Uh, and so uh, here he is on his uh, own release with his trio and uh, so he was uh, also born in Athens Greece 1967 Uh, he studied classical piano at the National Conservatory in uh, Athens at a young age he also took up jazz and improvised music and uh, he's got a bachelor's and master's degree in jazz performance from the Sibelius Academy in Finland and then he's performed on piano and organ with uh, lots of famous players in Europe uh, and also internationally American players too uh, including uh, big names like uh, David Liebman Houston Pearson Eric Alexander uh, Lou Donaldson and a lot of others so maybe he's one of the most uh, experienced and well known uh, you know Greek jazz musicians out there one of the interesting things about
1: the album is it's, it's got an interesting cover. What is that? Is that a shell on <laughs> the cover? Yeah, I'm I can't really sure. make that out. It's a, kind of interesting. Yeah. It yeah. kind of caught my eye, so I wanted to yeah. point
0: it out. Check it out and tell us what yeah. it is if you know.
1: <laughs> you all, uh,
0: yeah. Listen yeah. Listeners, check it out. Yeah. Uh, there's another cover I'll mention later, too, that kind of catches the eye in this program, yeah.
1: I'd probably for, I'd it, for different reasons.
0: Um, yeah. Also, we've got uh, on bass Kimon Karotsis, and uh a drummer we're gonna hear twice this evening uh jason waster who was uh, born in athens as well but um studied in the u.s and did some playing mixing it up with uh, u.s jazz players too and uh he's a young guy i wouldn't say youngster i guess he's what about 26 still that's pretty young uh but he's got a lot yeah. of uh, mature playing and intensity in his playing that we'll hear on both the, these albums tonight and then uh what makes this album kind of unique is the addition on the latter half by a guitarist, Babis Tyropoulos, Uh when we go uh, to the Deep South that matches the name of the album. Uh, anyway, we're going to start out with um, a different idea. It's called a concerto for jazz piano. So there's kind of three movements uh, here dealing with time. So it's called through time. And uh, the first movement of that is called in the present, uh, these are all Contraforce's original compositions. This one starts out with a repetitive piano riff uh, in a five beat meter. Uh, bass and drums join in, and Contraforce launches into a melody, keeping the rhythm, uh, the rhythmic feel of the original riff going uh, as he goes along. The rhythm breaks up uh, into kind of a six beat pattern uh, with a riff that you hear four times. And then it goes back to the five beat section. you uh, keep you counting here if you're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, There's a cool lower bass line doubled in the left hand of the piano. I love that kind of thing uh, when you hear that, uh, you know, left hand piano and the bass going together. Uh, Then a final section of rising syncopated riffs that build tension uh, before a return to the original melody section and a repeat uh, through those other sections. Uh, This time there's a little section also where the drums break the rhythm to work uh, accenting the phrases of the bass and piano together Contraforest gets a solo next over the pulsing five beat figures of uh, Carozas he focuses on rhythmically even phrases in the right hand with super clean articulation Uh, he's really uh, got a nice touch and can you know just kind of put me in mind of Vince Caraldi yeah pull out those individual notes um He builds it up with more rhythmically punctuated ideas after that, and it goes into the rising syncopated riff idea, uh, again with some explosive drum fills from uh, Waster. Then it comes down Mm -hmm. softer into the melody section, again uh, to build up once more. They riff out uh, for a long time on that, and then Waster gets an extended and heavier drum solo that's kind of alluded to in the previous time going through, and uh, push right to the end. With a final closing phrase and piano chord chime uh, to finish it off. So that was the present, and track two is called In the Past. Uh, this one's got a slow piano riff uh, intro that's now we're into four beats, a little more conventional. The bass joins in unison. Waster joins in with light brushwork as Contraforce adds a chiming melody on top of that. The slow, unified movement is tight with nice rhythmic bass fills come Corozas. He digs deep in the low bass range uh, for pairs of notes as Contrafores starts his piano solo with relaxed, and I called this gluey phrasing. <laughs> hmm. um, what, I, what I meant by that is, um, you know, in Japan we have uh, foods that they call neba-neba. They're foods with a stickiness I mean. to them. It's like a uh. okra and... Um, Yamaimo, a Japanese mountain potato. And when you pull these foods out of some dish, I don't like these foods personally, but they <laughs> I
1: kind of like that too. The way they make the okra. But kind of-
0: they, they have this sort of um starchy stickiness that pulls them kind of back into the into the you know bowl that they're in. And I, I got this feeling uh with his phrasing that's you know, there's like a adhesive that Is holding his fingers back to the keys, which results in this really kind of interesting sort of uh, sticky phrasing. Uh, It's not out of time, but it's just that slight hesitation that creates a nice feel. Um, When he goes through that, then trickles of notes, uh, later some faster runs. uh, Nice development. Waster paints some Really good simple textures behind that all nicely, and they work through the melody again with some repeats of the final phrase to take it to a close, and then some final piano chimes there too.
1: I wonder if he's um, you know, going for like what, what they call Dilla time now. Like there's, there was a hip hop producer Jay Dilla who kind of slightly sped up and slowed down his beats so they weren't quite in sync with the. Uh the other instruments I mean he may, maybe he's doing that he's kind of got that idea
0: I mean, you know. Know, there's various ways to play around time and all players have mm-hmm. their kind of uh, approach you know, some just people naturally sort of on a, a, a lazier kind of behind the beat feel but i i got the feeling that he pulled that out kind of uh, on purpose uh, just yeah. that little kind of it's it's almost a weight or you know a pulling back uh, that mm-hmm. uh, makes a really interesting uh, human touch uh, to that, and, and I really like that. Three is uh, in the future. Uh, so this ends up this uh, set of uh, concerto here through time, and this one kind of begins with a series of eight chords uh, on uh, one and four of a 6-8 rhythm that become the bass. Uh, Wasser scratches out some subdivisions under that, and then Contraforce fills in the gaps with an elegant melody line with a lot of nice little ornaments on there. It pushes ahead with some more intensity and accent in the drums, but then it comes down for a final melody section. Kurt Forest takes a solo over the, again, very low and bouncy bass uh, here. It's a nice swinging feel and his piano articulation is clear and tasty. He had some dazzling runs and punctuated chords too, and Waster helps to whip up things to a big climax of chords. Kratos uh, gets a bass solo. He gets down low uh, before getting more melodic in the upper register. They go through the melody again, uh, Waster helping to push it to a big finish with intensity.
1: I wrote that the uh, Giraldi is strong in this one. Oh, you thought so? <laughs> That's the, that Waltz time always put, in, and this kind of playing really puts me mm. in mind of Vince Garaldi all the
0: time. Yeah. Mm. And we've mm. got kind of a a middle piece that breaks up the two larger uh, Sort of sets of works. And I guess this is a, a Greek, uh, I don't know if it was a popular song or whatnot, but it's, uh, Elsa se fovume. And I don't know if it means something like Elsa, I'm afraid of you or, or something like that. <laughs> Did um, you look it up? <laughs> yeah. It up? <laughs> you can find the recording, uh, simple live things from the, uh, the singer, uh-huh. uh, Dionysus okay. Savopoulos. Um, this is a really jazzed up version, uh, compared to, the original that you'll see there. It starts out with a repeated kind of rhythmic F note on the piano. uh, And the bass keeps that rhythmic idea going with a kind of heartbeat thing uh, that it picks up off from it. The melody goes through some nice rhythmic changes, uh, different piano figures and bass lines. The harmonies are really nice on this tune uh, with some unexpected chords along the way. Carazos gets a bass solo first and he keeps the rhythms tight in his melodic lines, and then he gets a crying kind of bluesiness uh, at the end. And then uh, Contraforest is next building the solo melody nicely uh, while he connects his ideas and shows some impressive smooth runs here, too, uh, before they go back uh, to the original melody. Then we get... well, we had a concerto first. This is a suite at yeah, and here, but and the it's a good kind of suite. The good kind of suite. It's called The Deep South. It's a kind of road trip to various locations in the South, and this is where we get, uh. Of the South the of the U.S., we should south say. South of the U.S., not the <laughs> South of Greece. And this yeah. is where we get, uh, the, uh, <laughs> dirty, dirty slide guitar pyrotechnics of Babnis, uh, right. Teropolis, uh, joining in here. So the first stop on the, uh, Deep South Tour is Clarksdale, Mississippi. Uh, it begins with, uh, as these tracks do, uh, it's kind of, uh, an affected distant sound as if you're hearing it on a car radio or in another room. Uh, so you get this uh, blues guitar uh, coming in a kind of a muffled tone that starts things out. And then uh, that transforms into uh, an upfront uh, piano from uh, Contraforus uh, to set the rhythm of the tune, uh, you know, in a standard recording quality for a slow eight beat feel groove. I've always fallen for that effect. I've always yeah. fallen
1: for that effect. I really like it. Oh, okay. yeah, that kind of... The modern,
0: the the old to the modern. Old you know. to the modern, yeah. Uh, clicks from Waster brings it in. Uh, introduction of some dirty, bluesy slide guitar from uh, Babas here, Babas Uh There's a lot of space here. The guitar fills the gaps with crying slide licks. It also sounds like he's got a couple guitar uh, things going on. He's got a resonator kind of sound and then later... Uh, more standard, smooth, bluesy, uh, electric licks. So you may have a couple tracks going on over this. Uh, Contraforce has been uh, keeping rhythmic chord duty uh, through the guitar, and then he gets his own time for some blues from about 4 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, On the lifting harmonies of the bridge, uh, he breaks away with some high-flying figures, uh, and they really blow the blues away. Uh, It gets out of this kind of... uh, uh, bluesy mood. Then it returns to the dirge of the groove that it began yeah. with, with gives giving some more uh, tasty guitar licks from his kind of, um, <laughs> what is that Forrest Gump line? The box of chocolates. That's what I feel his sound is. It's like, uh, uh every time I hear like a couple of licks, then it's like, ooh, there's another tasty treat we haven't heard yet. And, you know, ooh, there's a caramel <laughs> lick. And, uh, this one, he's got all these like, you know, little surprises uh, in his guitar play yeah. uh, and then it ends off with a little more of that resonator sound uh, for the final guitar phrases the next track we're going to go to New Orleans and uh, this time we start out uh, with a far away bluesy piano for the whole first minute uh, you know it's like a distant uh, archive recording then counterforce brings it up into the foreground rising riff of chords Waster adding a big snare roll uh, to kick into a beat uh, Teropolis joins in with some more guitar and slide work. He really makes it cry with a slide and some raunchy riffs. Cudra uh, Forest takes a solo then that mm. builds rhythmic figures into jazzy runs, bluesy rolls, pounding chords. Uh, then Teropolis is back in for some more guitar. Uh, you really have to love the dirty tone and edge of the sound of the guitar. Mm. Uh, he gets a more jazzy in some of the phrases, and then he gets the wah-wah pedal going to add some more intensity on top of everything else. Uh, You're going to need a shower after this track because it's just so dirty (laughs) and edgy. You're going to have to towel off uh, here uh, before we get to the end, Then Contraforce chimes out some chords uh, on this ending. And then uh, we're going to go Alabama, Bessemer for the last track. Uh, Triropolis starts it out on guitar, uh, with some loose bluesy ideas, uh, works into a pulsing rhythm of plucked figures and slides. Uh, Waster kicks it into something different as the trio comes in on the more jazzy harmonized backing that has rising chords in an eight beat pattern. That's interesting. It's three, three, two in the phrasing. Um, hmm. gets an extended, very nasty slide solo here. There's a break in form uh, in four bars of three, that hints at things to come. So it sort of it from goes from eight to a nine feel, um, but after the next break section, they stay in the three beats for a while in the section before they go back to the three-three-two. So the the you know the meter underneath is changing, which makes it interesting. Contraforest gets a solo next, and this is much more modern and jazzy, uh, going outside the harmonies. On kind of fleeting and far-reaching runs, Uh, so it breaks out of that bluesy character. He gets some uh, rolling right-hand figures, uh, heavy left-hand chords before a final few dazzling runs, then it's back to Teropolis's slide for a short section before it comes down soft for some simple solo piano chords, and then builds again with simple harmonies, now in halftime dirty and uh, really bluesy groove. So it bring, it, the character changes, you know, and then it's more sim, simplistic in blues style uh, after that kind of jazzy harmonic start. Atropolis uh, has saved some final nasty crying slide ideas and licks uh, for the end that fades into some faraway sounding uh, blues note guitar. So you know, if you thought of it, you would say that uh, dirty slide <laughs> blues guitar and mm-hmm. uh, jazz piano won't go together. Uh, But these guys make it so fun that you can't resist. Uh, It's an interesting and exciting recording. Um, These two kind of larger related themes with the uh, concerto at the beginning and the blues suite at the end, uh, you know, make a nice contrast. The trio locks in together nicely on all the pieces. Uh, Contraforce is, you know, he's got this amazing technique and, uh, you know, beautiful phrasing, fabulous touch. interesting solo ideas uh as i said uh also check out his uh tribute to uh Bill Evans recording from earlier this year and then his organ work uh on the Yakko organ trio um you know he's he's a well-rounded player and uh it's hard not to be infatuated with his uh style and solos when he plays
1: yeah um it's it's an appealing album all the way through i mean i liked all of it i i thought it was kind of jarring though like going from the the jazz of the first four tracks and then like into the this really what really was a blues yeah uh sweet you know um but but it was all well taken i really liked it a lot it was fun as you said and it's all music after my own heart i mean i grew up with like you know blues and rock and roll music yeah. so it was appealing to listen to and i really enjoyed the lighter the lightness of the um the earlier works on the album too yeah so, the
0: time pieces were nice yeah and uh, yeah. i liked the 5-4 piece and um and yeah. I liked um I did the, too the playing around with the signatures and stuff so yeah it's an exciting one as I said um, I, I well, like his harmonic choices
1: though to and his sound. so yeah. it was really uh, appealing yeah
0: yeah he's um his uh, organ playing and piano playing both capture different kind of parts of his musical personality and uh, the more I listen to his yeah. playing you know, the more I like it and uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll hear for more of his uh, playing in the future next release uh, wow this one yeah. is a real little uh, gem here uh, I only feel like I've scratched the surface of what's going on in here and uh, this is uh, from the Spiral Trio and this is on the Older uh, Deck Records label and it's called Broken Blue yeah. uh, this came out at the end of April
1: oh, yeah. yeah I was just gonna say it's a pretty complex record like, yeah very complex I've this a few times you know? yeah uh, so, but but enjoyable. I don't want to say you know that. Yeah, you know, this is it's really. Not, it's not going to intellectually freeze you out or anything. It's really good, but it's got a lot of uh, things to discover. Let's say a lot
0: going on here. Um, it's mm-hmm. a, so. There, are, Spiral Trio is a modern jazz piano trio uh, based in Athens. They've been together for about a decade, performing around uh, Greece and Europe, and uh, this is their second uh, recording. The first one being self-titled on the same record label, I believe. And the trio is made up of uh, Spiros Menesis, uh, so hence uh, the spiral name from his uh, first name Mm -hmm. for the trio, Uh, Arionis Giftakis on bass, and Anastasius Gouleras on drums. And uh, this one really uh, drew me in. Now, (laughs) the other (laughs) interesting thing about this album, you know, a lot of the times... The problem with finding things on streaming internationally that I try to do every day. I'm combing through all, hundreds of releases finding things, and when I do find something that I like, there's no information about it. I'm lucky if I can find who the musicians are, let alone find anything all about right. them. Well, the spiral trio gives us lots of information and sort of um imaginative uh, or uh, inspirational ideas about the sources of their music. So I will share them with you since they've gone through the trouble to give those to listeners, even, you know, who get across this music in the streaming medium. So uh, they say, uh, Broken Blue is a modern jazz album. We understand modern jazz and his approach to jazz improvisation characterized by abstraction, lack of figuration, asymmetry, dominance of the subjective element, in the management of musical images and constant and intense interaction between the soloist and accompanying musicians." There's a lot there, right? Continues. We could also say something (laughs) that many musicians describe somewhat more generally, that modern jazz is an approach that seeks more and more freedom in the management of all the musical materials that jazz improvisation deals with, namely melody, harmony, rhythm, phrasing, modes of narration and form. Broken Blue is an exploration of different episodes, different possibilities, or versions of such an approach. Each episode is an original composition written to tell a unique story to create a distinct musical place. And that it does. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in addition to that (laughs) overall sort of um, description, each track they give a little uh, description to. And, uh, well, we'll see if that... uh, comes out in the sounds or not. Uh, we begin mm-hmm. with uh, the first track Rubicon, uh, and this is a uh, Spirosmenis original. It says it explores the lyrical impressionistic aspect through a prism of elastic rhythm abstraction and chromaticism. Ouch. Well, yeah, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> ouch, right. No, but anyway, uh, that's what they say, and uh, here's what I wrote down as I listened to it. Uh, it opens with uh, piano and bass, uh, Gifticus has a huge, huge fat bass sound. Uh, that, that's what yeah. you're going to notice on this album, which I'll comment on when we get to the end, uh, that really fills up uh, the sound space uh, with the bass. Uh, Golaris joins in painting faint brush textures on the drums. Menesis plays the sparse melody and then lovely, delicate solo piano figures with clear articulation, flowing phrases in the upper register. Gifticus has many answering counterlines, uh, as if they're having a conversation uh, throughout uh, before they even get to his own bass solo. Uh, he has a very nuanced attack to his bass notes, and the phrasing is beautiful. Uh, Menaces plays the delicate melody for us again after the bass solo to finish it out, and it ends on an unresolved chord. It makes you want to go back and uh, hear this again. I got the lyrical quality they mentioned and also this sort of impressionistic form hinting at, you know, other ideas uh, Mm. that are sort of only sketched in here. But uh, very interesting, yeah, open type of sound here that I liked.
1: And some very cool, unexpected chord changes in this piece, too, that really kind of struck me. I said this was chill. Chill, yeah.
0: (laughs) Check two is Hig, H-I-G. This is... uh, Grouse's composition. Uh, their description is characterized by timbral harmony serving a playing style permeated by nervousness, a tinge of angst, energy, and extroversion. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds Please like a It's better just to listen, really. Yeah, I think it's you cool listen that they're to be doing
1: it, but still, you know.
0: Anyway, uh, the drum started out with some uh, cymbals, uh, a syncopated line doubled in the bass and piano left hand, leads to a more forcefully accented section before the bass line returns. Uh, Menesis launches into a piano solo. His lines focus on rhythmic ideas and create a tentative expectation as they uh, build an excitement to faster runs, repeated single notes, and figures uh, mixed in. Uh, Giftigus has a lot of creative lines on bass underneath the piano again, and uh, then he gets his own solo, He uses a lot of space here and the drums drop out for a bit to let him float freely. Uh, He builds it into a long intense exposition of a solo. Uh, Speaking of drums, Gorlis is a very delicate and nuanced drummer all through this recording, but he's more of a texture creator, especially on cymbals. He never overplays. I really enjoyed just the little kind of, uh, you know, scratches and kind of uh, paper sketches almost he makes behind everything. Uh, Giftikis ties the bass solo back into the original melody riff. They go around again. A few final bass flourishes uh, and harmonics at the end. Track three is the title track, Broken Blue, another Menesis original. Uh, their description, a fragmentary, extreme, angular, dense, and adventurous blues composition with intense interaction between the members of the trio." That's true. Uh, Yes, Hmm. it's angular, it's choppy, but it's also boppy, and uh, that melody uh, here comes out in the piano uh, on the tune. Uh, Gifticus changes the rhythmic feel as they go along, keeping it unpredictable. Uh, Menesis gets some more adventurous harmonic ideas in his solo, and it really gets moving in some places with driving cymbals and walking bass. He turns more bluesy midway through, and the trio is really burning right through this. Uh, um, the movement is great. Uh, Giftuchus has a more abstract bass solo here. Uh, it takes him a while to actually chill out from the crazy kind of hmm. chugging lines he's been doing behind the piano. Um, and we're you know these intense intervals too. Uh, once he gets down, he becomes more creative. Sliding phrases, rhythmic figures. There's a lot of fun with fast finger work here. Uh, and you get some answers from the piano to what he's doing. Uh, the interplay is good in the trio here, before he gets uh, way out there with some intervals and a final uh, glist note. <laughs> this is a pretty out-there bass solo. It's very cool. Uh, they bring it back to the melody, uh, trading off for Golaris to get some drum soloing between uh, Manessa's blazing runs. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and this this tune really shows off the interplay uh, between the members as uh, they mentioned in their description. Uh, track four, we're going to get the only sort of uh, more standard piece on here, uh, but it's a nice contrast and they do a really good uh, sort of uh, interpretive performance of it. Once Upon a Summertime, Michelle Legrand's piece, uh, as they mentioned, mm-hmm. it's the quietest moment uh, for the trio on this album and is pervaded by lyricism, introspection, and a tinge of nostalgia. Uh, well, it's a pretty and forlorn, slow piano kind of opening. Uh, beautifully restrained playing. The bass and drums don't join in till exactly two minutes of uh, the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gifticus adds a bit of push and a little more counterline in his bass work to the piano uh, ideas. Gorlis with, I said, paper-thin brush textures behind. It's They're like crisp little see-through like wafer kind of rolled out things. Uh, it sounds really nice. It has a Seems sense really of open space recording Yeah, mm. not, not concerned with the meter. Um, you sort of, like we said, um, uh, what was that? Um, uh, recording that we talked about time almost stopping in, um, oh, uh, earlier this um, year. Um, it was a classical one, right? No, 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 uh, it was, um, oh another jazz recording we're talking about. It'll come to me in a moment. Um, Okay. But um, yeah, so it's sort of uh, the time as if the movement of time kind of drops out and then it it allows uh, Manessis to do some really lovely melodic playing. Uh, So you you lose sense of that meter and you're in this sort of free space. Uh, Gifticus has a lovely uh, melodic bass solo as well here. Uh, They go around the melody uh, once more and... Menaces adds a little more rhythmic playfulness with extra notes and a pretty uh, final ending. Uh, Bill Charlop's recording. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. That, that was we, last year. Yeah. That we talked about that. Um, yeah, that's right. We did say that. It just, yeah. the, the tempos on that album uh, that we're taking, mm. it sort of lets things just open up and the players right. sort of see into the time rather than the time sort of dictating what they're doing I got that feeling on this piece Uh, it's just so relaxed and uh, opened to uh, you know kind of freedom of movement outside of that uh, time constraint Uh, I really enjoyed it track five
1: (laughs) (laughs) this next track and then this next track yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and dispelled
0: that completely (laughs) yeah change of pace here for uh, bipolar (laughs) (laughs) All Uh, you need is the title to know what's going to happen. (laughs) This is this uh, composition. It says, uh, based on the harmony of the jazz standard, solar, uh, you, you probably know this one if you're a jazz fan. It's a quirky musical metaphor for an anthropological type, the old New York hipster. Of the 1940s, mm-hmm. who has been historically I like and culturally that anthropological yeah, <laughs> associated mm-hmm. with the emergence of bebop. Characteristics of this type that we have tried to convey in a musical way are a twist, a looseness, a peculiar, incomprehensible way of speaking, and perhaps a tone of irony and sarcasm. Well, that'd be New York. Um, and a heroin addiction. Yeah, it could be, <laughs> yeah. um, it's a fun, boppy number with the bass and piano working on a syncopated strain of the melody that alternates with a more swinging, walking bass section. Uh, Menesis gets an interesting start to his solo, picking out a lot of scattered notes before harmonizing and getting more of a rhythmic push. The bass and drums have left him alone to do his thing for a while. He gets a few harmonic surprises along the way. Bass and drums join back in as he continues along backed by their swinging groove. Here's some really speedy runs and punctuated rhythmic figures, really digging in with left-hand accents. Gifticus is next with a solo starting out, leaving lots of space between his figures, adding some cool double-stop notes and slides. He gets into a real rhythmic groove, swinging hard, melodic ideas way up in the high register. Uh, they come back to the melody, trading off uh, 12-bar phrases uh, with Gorlis for some drum soloing, uh, before they go around uh, once more to finish out the tune. Uh, so yeah, more um, time-constrained but uh, fun and uh, boppy uh, influence here. Track six, Ding Dong. Uh, this is Gifticus's composition. Uh, it says, it explores the soloistic possibilities of double bass and piano in a condition of open form and harmony serving an angular, energetic, and expressionistic Bordering on screaming at times, aesthetic approach. Hmm. Well, I don't know about that. I w- I'll tell you, I thought about this as a sandwich. If we're going to talk oh. about New York. Yeah, this is a sandwich, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, <laughs> kind of a drum intro. <laughs> tell us, Russ. <laughs> to some, it's a drum it's intro, but the main kind of the bread, which I said is pumpernickel here. It's, okay. uh, <laughs> it's got this... Uh, bass and left-hand piano line it forms a basic kind of melodic uh idea what there is of a of a melody uh, right. there um then uh gorillas keeps a beat percolating on the snare gifticus gets some free form soloing on the bass and then he's got a lot to explore uh, eventually the drums just drop out and let him fly free there's too much going on here because this is really you know a freestyle kind of uh uh, improvisation uh, to, to describe all of it. You just have to listen to it and hear all the interesting ideas he comes up with. That switches over piano. Uh, Menesis is up next for his own thing. Uh, he keeps kind of a rolling ominous bass idea going uh, for a while while he works these kind of uh, angsty and angular piano lines in the right hand. Uh, it ends up with some more punctuated high chords. Then the drums return they return to that kind of original bass and piano line, so it's kind of like a freeform sandwich with like a lot of gooey, amorphous ideas that are very cool. But it's between like <laughs> the stiff pumpernickel bread that's that bass and piano line, you know, that keeps it together. You know, so I don't know, like extremely raw roast beef with Russian dressing between a mm. little bit, maybe two day old pumpernickel that's kind of stiff with that bass line that's what yeah, you got you and it's kind of neat okay. um, uh, what I like is their their music gets out there and explores things but it's, it's always got a solid structure and you can see where they're coming from there's no just right. mindless doodling here everything is planned out and uh, w- when right. they do get into sort of more freeform areas their interplay and communication is so strong that you never feel like Things have, you know, the dog's not off the leash anywhere. Uh, it, yeah. it always uh, sticks together. I really like that about it. Uh, a couple more cool tunes here. Track seven, Blue Flower. Uh, this is a Gifticus composition. Uh, their description, it's the application of an abstract, expressionistic, fractured playing style in a tropical... In parentheses, <laughs> modal environment. So, modal and tropical become uh, one idea here. Um, but uh. this is um again. I, I said uh, I used the sandwich. I was I'm getting hungry here. Maybe I don't know. Uh, the melody is made up of some <laughs> repeated modally piano figures that sandwich a more swinging series of figures. This is in the sort of okay. uh, head composition. The rhythm breaks up for some uh, bass and piano interplay as they have exchanges, uh, the drums coming back in intermittently when Gifticus gets a groove growing in the bass. He gets some hmm. really rhythmic patterns on the bass here. Uh, Meneses is soloing out in modal land here, peppering in strongly accented chords, building some dissonant tension. The groove evaporates completely for the start of Gifticus's bass solo. He explores lots of modal ideas Gets a tight rhythmic groove going again for Gorillaz to bring the drums back in for. Uh, his vocalizations with the modal melodic ideas in his solo are pretty cool too. Um, mm. You're humming and singing along a bit in the background. Uh, Menaces chimes through the modal chords uh, for Gorillaz to do some intense drumming behind and they close it out with a final run through the melody. It's a very long exploration of all of this. Uh, I've just made it sound concise, but it clocks in at uh a little over 11 minutes, but uh, yeah, very cool. Uh, a little bit abstract, but it all holds together and gets some nice modal kind of uh, ideas coming out here. And we're going to finish up the recording with Portrait in Yellow. Uh, this is a Gorlis composition. Uh, they describe it as a purely impressionistic composition with temporal harmony and a performative approach, characteristic by characterized by introspection. An implicit inner pulse and a mood of melancholy and reminiscence. Yeah. Did did, did they write these or I don't did somebody know. else like uh I don't It's know. on their homepage, uh you know, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> pretty flowery language, uh should I have uh, you write it? Yeah, oh, this yeah.
1: is like, this is like a sandwich. Yeah, it's a pumpernickel <laughs> sandwich of a tool. <laughs> it's got pastrami. It's got mustard. It's
0: <laughs> it reminds me of this deli I used to get these sandwiches. Durlacher's Deli, you know, and they had these nice uh, pumpernickel roast was- beef with coleslaw in there with horseradish on it. Ooh.
1: Yeah. Right, uh, those bro. I, I lived in Brooklyn when I grew up, those yeah. Brooklyn Del i don't know what they're like now, but they used to give you sandwiches that had like you know the entire
0: yeah, side huge. of the
1: pig in them. It was really unbelievable. Mm. They were just huge. It, it was a workout for your jaw. Yeah. You know you kind of felt like you're at the gym while you're eating it. You That's know, you're right losing now. all those calories chewing it while you're yeah. gaining them by eating it. You know,
0: work those jaw muscles. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, this one portrait in yellow going to finish up here. Uh, Whatever all those um, descriptions were, uh, this is my uh, listening note. Uh, It starts out with a faint cymbal work uh, there. A sparse melody of offset bass and piano notes becomes more lush with rolling piano chords uh, that flow freely uh, in their own time. Uh, Nice uh, kind of feel here. Piano and bass then have floating dialogue in free tempo some really beautiful melodic ideas emerge from this i was kind of uh, really drawn into that uh the symbols provide hmm. background textures when the phrases swell up uh then the bass and piano finish their conversation uh Gorlis has some time for a brushwork solo around the drums uh, it becomes almost silent then the piano and drums return uh with this really offset melody you know the the way the notes come out in the bass and the piano it's almost echoish uh, from the, be- the mm-hmm. mirrors, the beginning, uh, and it rolls into a, a little more intensity uh, before uh, it ends quietly. Uh, so I really enjoyed this recording. Uh, it's mm-hmm. very interesting, very uh, m- modern and forward-thinking, but accessible at the same time. Because it, I found it really easy to, despite these descriptions, <laughs> I found it easy mm-hmm. to listen and understand what they were aiming for and the the sort of leaps they take musically, but also the trust that they have with each other. Uh, you can really sense that interplay uh, that's going on in the connection between them. Uh, so that interplay is great, especially considering these adventurous approaches they take to the compositions, and then the free open arrangements. Really fine piano playing, but what makes this recording interesting is the that uh, Gifticus's outstanding bass work has an equal role in all of the melodies and in the solo time so you know you normally listen to a a piano trio depending on the sort of uh, dynamics of you know the group the bass will get some solos but here bass and piano these guys are sharing equally not not only in the solo time but You know, even in the in the melodies of the tunes, the the bass is giving these counter lines uh, that are just as important as what the piano is doing, and that makes their approach kind of unique. Uh, It's fresh sounding, and I think you got to listen to this uh, repeatedly to pull out everything Mm -hmm. that's happening. I think this is a fabulous trio. I, I really found their music engaging, with so much happening, and doing all different kinds of approaches. With uh, melodic, harmonic exploration, working with rhythm, and then you know taking rhythm kind of out of the equation as much as possible, uh, working through these tunes, um, yeah, really nice. I-, I enjoyed this one a lot.
1: Yeah, I was thinking I was kind of sitting on the fence, saying, "Hmm, I wonder if I want this or not," because it's the kind of album that I would I would buy just because I know it's gonna get better with each. Mm. It's gonna reveal more with each listening. It's not. I, I would encourage listeners, if you listen to this, um, give it more than one listen, because it really is, it's got a lot in it. And I think there's going to be a lot more. So, yeah, now you've now you've sold me on I guess I'm going to have to get this one out, too.
0: <laughs> I think I listened to this um, about two or three yeah. times non-analytically. You know, I just put it on yeah. uh, to see if it was going to draw me in. And it did. And then, you know, I had to listen to it again to sort of, you know, think about what I was listening to and i had i was familiar with where you know each piece was going to go then and then when i actually started mm-hmm. to think about what they were doing and their approach i was all that more intrigued you know by that time i had heard mm-hmm. it three or four times so wow yeah, yeah. i really i really think this it's, is a good one
1: yeah it's got eight tracks on it it's a it's a fairly long album though just
0: the all, whole, an hour and ten minutes yeah uh it, it is yeah. a long recording
1: right and uh it gets it gets more abstract as it goes Mm -hmm. too but that's not a bad thing it kind of i feel like it hits its perfect balance like at about tracks five six and seven Mm -hmm. and for me bipolar stood out as a composition although i liked it all yeah yeah. the the quieter tracks were really chilled out it was really pretty yeah um yeah so this is something yeah this is going to be a one i'll probably have on time to time over the summer sounds good
0: yeah, Spiral Trio. Uh, good work. I, I might hit them yeah. up. I'll, I'll let them know we talked about their album, see what they say. Cause, uh, yeah, a bit of a surprise. I, that, I, that was I'd good. I'd like, um, like to have more people listen to this because I think it's a really fresh and um, mm-hmm. adventurous approach to this. All right, yeah. we've got one more. And uh, another great piano trio. <laughs> Except my list is so big I could come up with, <laughs> you know piano trios from anywhere Mm. Uh, and uh, here's a label I haven't heard uh, before either Uh, Irida Uh, Minios Gonares Trio Uh, it's called Set in Motion so we've got Minios Gonares on piano uh, Grigoris Theodoridis on bass and as I said uh, going back to our first recording the young Jason Waster uh, who seems to be much in Mm. demand on drums uh, on this one, too. So he's our uh, common thread uh, here. Uh, so uh, Guernas was born in uh, Agrinio in 1983. Uh, so um, he's not that old yet. Uh, he studied classical piano at uh, Agrinio Conservatory, music theory as well, and then went on to study jazz uh, piano as well. And uh, he's got this trio... Uh, here that has been performing around Greece. Uh, However, in 2011, he moved to Holland to study at Utrecht Conservatory uh, for a while. And um, if you look at the uh, album here, you see he's got a nice uh, female figure form uh, to catch the eye (laughs) on this album here. Uh, (laughs) His first album as a leader with this group, uh, Flood, that was called First Dropped, was released in 2020. Um, But uh, on this release, we've got Set In Motion with this piano trio. Uh, It starts out with a tune called Big Drop. And uh, this begins with a repeated syncopated three chord piano and bass figure. Uh, That chord riff continues into the melody section with a little swinging, melodic and bluesy right hand uh, piano lines that uh, fill in the gaps. Uh, The next section has more punctuated piano chords of modal harmony over walking bass with a heavier swing feel. Uh, But Woster mixes up the beat uh, inside of that swing has some tight fills as they go through the whole pattern again. It breaks into a piano solo uh, for Guenares and he starts swinging hard over the walking bass. He gets some bluesy ideas in his phrases and focuses on cleanly articulated notes and driving left-hand chords, especially when it goes through the uh, modal harmony section. He gets some rolling figures, building it up to a repeat of the tension, uh, that tension-building chord figure from the beginning, and uh, finishes it up with a descending fall of a run. Uh, That brings uh, Theodoridis up for a bass solo. He keeps a bouncy feel uh, that's tight with clear attacks through his ideas they head back to the melody section of trickling right-hand lines, and when they get back to the repeating chord figures, bass and piano come down in volume uh, to vamp out for a while and give Waster some drum soloing time, Uh, slowing up on the last one, and there's some ascending piano notes to finish it off. Track two is called Learn to Remember. Uh, A drum tom roll starts into a more extended drum solo that also features a lot of toms. At about a minute and 15 seconds, Waster gets a new soft groove going, and then uh Guernardus enters with the kind of uh, start and stop melody, working in step with the bass on figures. Uh, the melody gains momentum as it goes working up to a rhythmic kind of Vince Guaraldi type of feel, Uh and mm-hmm. Waster builds the beat from lighter cymbals to an actual kind of backbeat hit on the snare. <laughs> it really... Progresses in its rhythmic (laughs) feel through the phrases. Uh, They go around the melody again. Then uh, Theodorus is up first for a bass solo. It's rhythmic throughout, and he gets some nice melodic ideas toward the end as he hands it off to Guarnas to Solo. Uh, He starts it out on the piano simply, building it up to more rhythmic and bluesy ideas as he goes along in the same way as the melody develops. So, you know, this melody starts simple, By the end of the phrase, it's much more rhythmic and uh, active. Uh, His lines have a really nice rhythmic swing to them, but I also like how he often uses fewer notes with clear articulation. They go around the melody again, and this time Guarnas keeps up with improvisations using those clear, simple, and repeated notes with rhythmic intensity. He works it up into a rising rolling chord idea kind of thing in the right hand over the driving groove Waster has worked up, before the final chord section and a little slow down to the end. Yeah, nice kind of rhythmic feel progression with the melodic development in this tune. Track 3, uh, Flairy's Blues. This is a fun swinging 12-bar blues with some monkish type lines and tight syncopated movement between the trio. The bass goes out walking for Guarnus to start his piano solo. Uh, he's going to take this his time on this one to build it up slowly, starting with one-handed phrases in the middle register that leave a lot of space. Waster has some nice surprise hits and fills as he brings in the left hand of the piano for some extra support on these solo lines, and more bluesy ideas that still leave big gaps of anticipation. Then he gets some nice two-handed rhythmic figures on the piano going, and uh, that gets more adventurous with the harmonies finishing off with some cool descending, two-handed, kind of cross-rhythmic figures to what the bass and drums are doing. Uh, Theodotus gets a bass solo next, getting high and bluesy, and then Guanaris takes another 12-bar solo chorus on piano, uh, then giving it over to Wastert for uh, two choruses himself, mixing things up nicely before they come back for another couple runs through the melody. So a uh, cool little uh, blues piece here. Track 4 is set in motion, a pretty piano melody, sounding kind of modally with nice rhythms, uh, rhythmic bass lines below. It does get a nice uh, sense of motion, but it takes a pause on a kind of an unexpected low note that kind of stops things, but then it picks up again. Uh, Very pretty harmonies here that show a nice touch and phrasing sense by Guarnas. He solos getting into some extended runs of intense rhythmic figure phrases into chiming chords. Waster helps build it up with a pressurized drum fill ideas and clicks behind. Comes down softly for a bass solo that has a yearning quality, and it gets like these high-reaching phrases. this seems like they reach the absolute upper limit of what the bass is possible uh, to uh, express. <laughs> it's like w- way up is going to become a cello or a <laughs> viola very soon. Um, they go around the melody again uh, whilst they're getting some uh, nice hi-hat textures and then a very soft ending. Track five, uh, Siren. Hard, boppy, intense, modally chord intro to this 6-8 feel minor melody. Guarnas keeps that syncopated chord energy going in his left hand. Uh, The final section of the melody has some cool syncopated ominous chromatic chord (laughs) movement to it. (laughs) It really uh, Hmm. makes you think something bad is going to happen. They go around again with some rolling embellishments from Guarnas. He solos first, again using lots of clearly articulated notes, first getting more rhythmic as he goes along. Uh, the left hand is always driving. He works into some tricky rhythmic figures and some high rolling and chiming chords, Then it then comes down for a bass solo from Theoderedus. Uh, he has a lot of bluesy rhythmic ideas in this one. They go around the melody once more, repeating that ominous chromatic section and uh, finishing with a high flourish uh, from Guanares on piano. And we end up with track six, The Boss, Uh, This one is a sexy little stroll uh, with a pulsing bass rhythm and a minor bluesy piano melody. It has a contrasting section that's really intriguing with these uplifting kind of chord progressions. The mood changes completely. Uh, Really nice composition. Uh, Guinaris is very fleet and rhythmic in his solo here. The bass is digging in underneath. Uh, Wastar kicks up the beat with interesting subdivisions on the cymbals. Theodoraitis gets a melodic bass solo that gets pretty interesting over the contrasting section of those chords. <laughs> I feel like he was not sure like what direction he was going to go with those cool harmonies there, uh, but it all works mm-hmm. out, and they take it through the melody once more. Waster kicks it up on the contrasting section of that uh, progression and then take it out uh, gently with that sexy little opening riff that's minimalized and uh, just comes down. It's a really cool, intriguing tune. Wow, this album, uh, great playing all the way around. Fabulous piano, uh, some nice bass work, Uh, really fun original compositions. There's one thing wrong with this whole recording, though. It's too yeah, what, short, that be? <laughs> it's only 39 yeah. minutes, yeah. So, uh, needs two more tunes. It's still, 39
1: minutes, yeah, it would be nicer if it was longer, but 39 minutes is an acceptable length, though, yeah, for it's our, okay. an album. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: but that was intrigued enough that uh, I wanted to hear more. So, mm. um,
1: yeah, yeah, I liked it too. I, I also kind of looked for this on CD, and it's not available probably because it's on such a small label, right? They probably don't have. But I would like to see this on CD one day. I would get it. So um, if anybody's out there is listening, wants to pass the word on.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, that would be great. Uh, Minios uh very intriguing uh, pianist, nice solos, uh, exciting. The interplay here is good, but the compositions are really <laughs> intriguing too. Uh, I found yeah. them to be, you know, satisfying almost with like, a, they have some kind of, you know, hook, hooky elements, almost like a, Right. A pop song will hook you in, waiting for uh, certain things to appear again, and I really liked uh, that element to it, and uh, that just happens to round out this nice collection of uh, Greek uh, piano trio jazz. Yeah, really exciting. It yeah, just, oh, yeah. All in all,
1: yeah. For me, I said this album uh, crafted to raise the spirits. It's oh, upbeat, yeah. cheerful, sunny, and. Uh, yeah I especially like the boss a lot at the last track yeah um yeah, this is an album I would, I would like to have actually I kind of hope they'll get it on CD one day yeah um yeah all in all though this has been quite a a week of discovery not not just that there's really good Greek jazz but it's stuff that I really would like to have in my collection it's really in- interesting and the classical as well I was really intrigued to hear all of that it was yeah um,
0: everything was really, really good uh... that was mm-hmm. nice to hear that um you know, a new Greek composer uh would, would have never heard of otherwise, uh, probably right. ever experienced that music. And if I had just picked three piano trio releases, I, I mean, the piano trio list I have is huge. I'll never even get yeah. through a third of, of all of the things that come out. But if I had tried to pick <laughs> three really good recordings, you know, not confined to uh, one, uh you know, country or any other criteria yeah, i don't right. think i could have been more pleased than i was with these three uh all from all right. greece uh they're all top notch and uh yeah i enjoyed all of them I, these are going to go on my you know continuing to listen to uh kind of playlists so can't beat it
1: all right so you've got some discoveries uh waiting for you listener Please yeah. enjoy
0: check it all out yeah yeah, so this is Greek Wait, Week. It's, pour
1: yourself a nice ouzo for these. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, what I need is a little vial of
0: ouzo. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, until we go back to Greece. Um, oh, well. It's been all Greek to us this week. And uh, for you listeners, uh, remember, Greek Week continues with uh, our interview number 4 that It'll come out on Thursday. You can hear the uh, interview. Find out the genesis of all those great tunes on the uh, Yuko Organ Trio recording. Uh, so check that out. Uh, Wednesday night in America, Thursday morning in Japan and somewhere in between in uh, Europe and other parts of the world. Yeah, uh,
1: basically in Europe, you'll wake up and it'll be on your uh, podcast site and just be ready for your morning
0: coffee. And um, mm. I think we've already uh, got something lined up for uh, next week's episode, too. Um, we're going to have some good yeah, vibrations. I don't think we have much of,
1: yeah, we're going to have some... Uh, well, in my case, it'll be I'll have a marimba recording. Yeah. That's going to be my contribution. Otherwise, I've got two other things that I really aren't going to mix in with that, but I just want to get them up there. So, you know. All right. <laughs> it's... But we'll launch into the uh, the Vibes yeah. thing with a marimba recording that I found in, in classical music pretty one-of-a-kind anyway. Okay, I'm looking forward <laughs> you know, to that. We'll see. And uh, I just
0: happen to have a, a bunch of jazz recordings. Uh, well, One of them is uh, vibraphone. The other two feature vibraphone in the instrumentation, but mm-hmm. they were both on my list, so it'll be a good chance to uh, group by that theme for uh, some summer Vibes. Uh, to get that out, yeah, there we're gonna hopefully.
1: have some more nationalities coming back soon. But I feel like we got to get away from it for a week yeah, or a week sure. or two. Otherwise, it'll just never stop. We'll typecast <laughs> ourselves, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't know. We can uh, forget about the borders and nationalities for a while and uh, focus right. on some other themes there. Anyway, a lot to look okay. forward to. Uh, check out the interview coming out this Thursday. We uh, think you'll enjoy that too and uh, next week for some summer vibes that'll be episode yeah 70 next week wow getting wow. up there and uh i think we'll getting have over there. uh ten thousand downloads by uh sometime in july too so looking forward to that uh yeah and I'm looking listeners. at the weather
1: here in uh where we are in japan and uh it will be summery weather yeah but when we're doing the podcast next week yeah it's <laughs> so, gonna be hot gonna be hot i will I will be bathed in sweat as we, as we speak <laughs> next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, all the good wrap a towel around my headphones.
0: Good weather for uh, listening to uh, music inside with the AC on. So look forward yeah. to that. Anyway, this has been episode 69 of adult music, your podcast with music for the mature mind, Uh Greek week this week. Uh, remember, uh, Check out the playlist on uh, Deezer. look on uh, PodBean, our host site if you can't see all the links for everything else on uh, Apple Music and Spotify and uh, remember tomorrow after this uh, episode is uh, released, we record Sunday night release Monday. I get the playlist for the upcoming week out the same day. so if you want to check it out early, you can find that uh, exclusively. On Deezer, uh, but I also put the link for it on our Facebook page. Uh, so come check us out there. Uh, thanks again for our wonderful logo in neon, uh, that uh, sort of glow that draws you into the adult music uh, podcast logo to our Fast Signs of Staten Island. And uh, we appreciate that. Right. And uh, we'll be back again next week with episode 70 and some summer vibes. So until then enjoy Greek week and we'll see you again next week for a new episode.